0: So, I'm here today in the studio with ex-con Cody, former enforcer for a Manchester crime family. He's got his own YouTube channel, ex-con Cody, link will be in the description box below this video, highly recommend you go over and sub. And I also did a few little videos with Cody prior to this, he has experience in prisons in Manchester, Young Offenders and HMP Manchester, it was called Strange Ways. And you told me a really horrific story about a sex offender that we'd not covered yet. Mm. Can you give us the details of that one, please, Cody?
1: Yeah, so on my, la- on my third and final stretch at Forest-, Forest Bank Prison in Salford, private prison run by Sedexo Justice Services, um, I was a cleaner. I couldn't really get my head around the fact they'd give me a cleaning job when they knew that I spoke up for prisoners on- after I got out on other stretches. Anyway, um when I was in strange ways, we never come into contact with sex offenders in any which way. They're completely separate in every which way. Um, but at Forest Bank, there's that many of them in the system. They actually overspill into general population. And they run a regime called DNU, which stands for do not unlock or DNO, do not open. Um, and they get out for half an hour in the morning before the prisoners are out, and they get out for half an hour in the evening after the prisoners have been locked up to get on the shower to get a shower, get on the phone, et cetera, et cetera. Well, there's this one particular that the lads had gone to his flap when he was on association, when he was out of the cell and they're asking him why he's in and stuff and his prisoners are very switched on and it became apparent that the, the thing he said he was in prison for didn't reflect the sentence that he'd told them. So prisoners are obviously, where are your depths? For those that don't know, depths is prison paperwork, like like your charges and stuff.
0: What was he claiming he was in for? Do you remember um,
1: I think he said he was in for like a, like a Section 18 or Section 20. What does that mean? Section 18 is, is grievous bodily harm. Um, Section 18 is wounding with intent, and I think Section 20 is wounding without intent. Okay. Um, so serious charges, like broken bones, or you chop someone or stab somebody, that's what you're looking at. Anyway, uh, the prisoners were like, no, nah, someone's not right here. Why are you behind your door? And I think this was a kid's first time in prison, so they were harassing him behind his door and stuff. He, he wasn't forthcoming with his paperwork. If you're not forthcoming with your paperwork, there's a reason why. Um, so prisoners started to like, give us your paperwork. And when he didn't, it just became, he was getting hounded behind his door. You're a fucking nonce, nonce pedophile. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Chomo in America, you call it a chomo, child molester, pedophile. Um, And he was abusing behind his door and stuff. And this kid was having, first time in prison, he was having an horrific time. And then on top of it, the lads have clocked it. So he's getting hounded and hounded and hounded and hounded. And the flaps, it used to be a medical wing. So the glass on the thing actually slid. It was like perplexed glass. And you can actually slide them open. Prisoners are throwing shit at him, throwing, swilling him with piss. Um, kids like just going out of his mind. He's not handling it very well. He's not eating. He's threatening to harm himself. Anyway, um, I was unlocked. Most of the lads, prisoners were locked up. Um, the lads, the cleaners have gone to wing gym. There was me and another prisoner on the wing. Um, this guy gets unlocked to go on a, like a nap book. I think it was a mental health assessment. Um, and as the prison officers opened his cell and let him out, he's then pulled the door to to lock it. He's jumped up onto the, to the landing, onto the, onto the landing, which is like the first floor. We call it the twos and he's, there's no netting. Um, and he's, the prison officers grabbed him. He's gone to throw himself over and he's sort of like, if you can imagine someone doing a handstand upside down, but he was on the other side of the bars. The prison officer's got the back of his legs. Um, So he's
0: going down, is he about to drop? Yeah,
1: yeah, literally. And the prison officer's like holding the back of his legs. He's not the biggest officer in the world, the sandal. And he's grabbing his legs, grabbing his legs, grabbing his legs, grabbing his legs. And then um, gravity took hold. His pants came off. His pants and his underpants came off in the prison officer's hands. I've come out. And just seen him head, fall head first, missed the pool table by probably inches. Head first, the crack was, uh, uh, it stayed with me. And there's an indentation in his skull. His neck was to the side, he's bleeding from his ears. It was, um yeah, it, it was very apparent that something was seriously wrong. Now, obviously, we was then locked up, um, all the commotion, people running on the wing, like healthcare and stuff like that, nurses. Um unfortunately he survived. Um and I say it because obviously paedophiles are a paedophile and sex offenders. Child four things you don't want to be in prison paedophile, a snitch, or a grass. Um a, hold on. So grass, sni- a grass, a child murderer, a paedophile or a
0: rapist. And a grass is a snitch.
1: Yeah, a grass is a snitch, yeah, for yeah, for the American yeah. audience out there.
0: So on the comments then on our previous videos, <laughs> people have pointed out there's been some criticism come in. Mm. I mean, it's like these people expect you to have lived a completely perfect life or something, you do the slightest little thing wrong or someone you know does something wrong and you're supposed to lose all credibility on YouTube. But my philosophy is there's good and bad in everybody. Mm. I like to concentrate on the good. I know what you're doing now. You're going in schools, speaking to year groups, trying to get them out of crime, not going down that road of crime. You're speaking in universities to crime departments so they can understand... Mm the psychology of crime, all this positive stuff you're doing, mm-hmm. critics aren't focusing on that. They're focusing on stuff like that's in the news, mm-hmm. the crime family you're working for, Noonan, the mm-hmm. fact that he ended up um, down the road, he ended up in, in his own uh, indictment for mm-hmm. some sex offences, which you knew nothing about at the time. Mm-hmm. But before we address this and... How was it that you ended up getting in the mix with this crime family? How did you yourself get into crime?
1: Right. So I was... Uh, me personally, I got into crime from like a young age. I, I saw that my mother wasn't academic and struggling to put food on the table and stuff, working minimum wage jobs and stuff. Was this in Manchester? And this was in Manchester, yeah, yeah. And she was struggling to put food on the table. So I saw minimum wage as a struggle. I wasn't academic in school. I couldn't apply myself. I was... I was bullied for a long time and then I sort of snapped in in, in like the first grade of secondary school, like year seven, first grade in secondary school. And then I ended up, everything that all my life experiences of being bullied and stuff came out in this moment, I ended up battering this lad. Um, and from that moment on, I just realized that violence is actually a very good tool to control people, to ascertain certain goods and so that people leave you alone. Um, and I never looked back and I was extremely violent going forwards um, Before like you a,
0: became violent, why do you think people were bullying you in particular? And were you always a big lad?
1: No, no, I was a skinny little runt. Uh, I had big ears, I had my ears pinned back. Um, I was just, I was bullied. I was relentlessly bullied, so much so that I i tried to hang myself in like my my mum's my bathroom at home. I tied a skipping rope and tied it around the loop on the thing and it was quite tight.
0: Um, How long was this bullying going on for to me? So from from primary, from,
1: from early, from probably seven, eight years old comments being made about Big Ears, Taxi Doors, Dumbo. And that then, like I said, I, I was kicked out of one school, went to another primary school, up and there, went to secondary school. But every time there was an incident in my life, it was like throwing a can of Coke or soda at the wall. It was, that that pressure was building up, that pressure was building up. this was going
0: up. on for years, the bullying. Yeah, yeah, can't yeah. imagine.
1: And then, I, I wanted to, die. I just wanted to die, man. it it's fucking horrible. And I, I used to, like, um, my mum would come into my room and she'd be like, I'd have a coffee or something and I'd be like, um, I'd be holding the cup to my forehead and then she'd check my temperature and she'd like, oh yeah, you're too hot, you, you stay off school today. And the things like that, I'd do whatever I had to do, whether it would be Skype school or wag school or play truant, I guess you'd say. Um, and like I say, I just, I went to another secondary school and then another secondary school and just, what, I just couldn't what, apply myself. What was the
0: worst things the bullies were doing to you? Just
1: taking my money off me, kicking the shit out of me, starting fights with me pushing me into the more just just horrible stuff. One kid was, he brought a BB gun to school and he thought it was funny to shoot me Mm -hmm. with a BB gun and stuff. And uh, looking back and stuff, I can laugh now, but at the time it was fucking hell on earth. And I didn't, I I was a run, I was a skinny little kid, um, very, and the thing is, obviously the weaker members of society become victims for the most part. And like I say, it's that alpha sort of omega sort of thing. And, I was definitely an Omega and I was I was scared.
0: I only had a fraction of what you had. I was one of the last to grow in my year group. I was mm-hmm. skinny as well. So there was a period of months where the rugby players were beating me up and shit and I was like asking my parents like, when well, yes, you actually want to change school and all this stuff. So it's, it's blown up isn't it in your head. It's, it's, it's so intense at that time. I can understand why you would want to uh, commit suicide. Yeah.
1: And then the thing is at like age 11 I started there was a boxing gym where I lived on a Tuesday and a Thursday I used to go there training. And I thought it was like, oh, it's a, it's like um, to let that anger and aggression out and sort of channel it and sort of direct it positively. All it really taught me to do was how to hit harder, how to transfer your weight to get the most out of a punch from a young age. And I thought uh, th- this is going to reinforce anything when it comes to bullies and stuff. And like I say, ended up in this year seven situation, which was the first grade of secondary school, when this guy started to fight me on purpose because he wanted to get, that's what he was trying to get out of it. And then people are gathering around, fight, fight like they do in school. And um, I don't know why, but the kind the, the of soda that had been thrown against the wall that many times exploded. And uh, I kicked his ass. And from that moment, I knew that that was like, I ain't going to be a fucking victim no more yeah, mate. I was like, that is it. Like, never look back. Don't ask questions. Punch first, ask questions later. And I say that to my shame and to my detriment now because I probably broke more jaws than fucking Valentino broke hearts. But I was aggressive and I was violent because I was... It was, the reason I was violent is because then people think, oh, don't fuck with him. And I'm nobody, but I was violent to the extent that I was carrying weapons to school and stuff like that.
0: And When you beat that one kid then yeah. after that years of bullying, was emo- like a release emo- I was going to ask, was it, did you have this triumphant feeling?
1: Yeah. I I, I, I say it's a shame, but I was, I reveled in it. I reveled in that moment because I was like, you know what? I was like, it, it was, I'd not had sex at this point, but it was like, it was a, a euphoric high that, I got, and every time I got into a violent incident and stuff and I'd like, as I got older and stuff, it matured and I matured with it and I became more violent and aggressive and stuff. And I say that to my shame and stuff. It's not a good thing.
0: Um, But would you say you became addicted to violence at some point? Yeah,
1: definitely. I'd search for it. I'd search search for it. it. Like the, the, the the, the smell of blood has got like that sort of copper two P sort of smell to it. And whether it was my blood or somebody else's blood, I mean, I'm physically scarred and fucking emotionally scarred. And like I say, I've also hurt other people and, when I when I used to be involved in an incident and stuff, sometimes there's a person with a level head and stuff, and it's like, it's like they they rein you in. But if I remember once, I I was just I went over the top with his kid, and I just thought, you know what, I'm end up going to end up killing some fucker, or someone's going to end up killing me. And like I, said, I was carrying weapons and stuff like that, and
0: like Stanley knives or...
1: Stanley knives from me from like my stepdad's toolbox, or even fucking a knife from the fucking kitchen block. Guns, um, not not at that age, not in my teenage years, but um, when I sort of became, I started living in Rochdale and stuff. I'd been homeless, ended up um, becoming, I did my security license and stuff to be a bouncer. I wanted to protect certain people and that was the original aim, but then obviously you end up fucking people up as well. But I ended up dealing drugs for a local gang um, a drugs gang and they was moving on a national scale heroin and crack cocaine
0: is that a Rochester uh, R- uh, Rochdale
1: Rochdale. Roch- Rochdale yeah Rochdale, Rochdale, Rochdale. sorry, Rochdale. sorry Rochdale. Rochdale yeah which is greater Manchester and um, they was moving on a national scale heroin and crack cocaine now originally I was at the bottom of the pecking order because you've got to prove yourself and stuff started to take steroids uh, got into the gym when you've got a bad temper and then you're taking steroids and you've got that like over like you- too much testosterone for your body to take you don't know. It's like having a fucking, like, a paranoid schizophrenic or something. You didn't know what you was going to get every day, like who I was going to be. Sometimes I'd be passive and something, I'd get away with something. Another time i go over the top and over the littlest thing and stuff and it wasn't fucking, but anyway, so taking steroids, got into the gym, I was training, I started to have like a growth spurt and then I started to become a drug, a debt collector for the gang as well. And then I ended up running their operation pretty much like cutting it, bagging it, fucking it off, but not street level. It was bigger than that. Um, And like I say, you earn your, you earn your stripes, so to speak. If you are loyal and you're not dipping your hand in the cash and stuff like that, I was earning good money. Um, I was driving fast cars, like I say, top of the range sports cars, Porsche, Cayennes, BMWs, convertibles, Mercedes. How old
0: are you at this point?
1: I'm like, what? Early twenties. Okay. Just
0: before you got shot then.
1: Yeah. 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 Shot at. Yeah. Early twenties. Anyway, that then transpired that I was working at doors and stuff. Um, and like I say, when I was on the doors, I wanted to protect vulnerable people because I ate bullies and stuff. And obviously like women that were, they're not as big as guys in stature and they can't handle as much drink. Well, some they can these days, can't they? Most women, they, show, they put us to fucking shame. But yeah, and then it just transpired from working at doors. And then I started doing like little bits of protection work for like wrestlers from America and actors and stuff. Not not like, like A-list actors or anything, doing bits and pieces, debt collecting, carried on doing what I was doing and was like, grafting out my own reputation in the local area as like, he's loyal. He doesn't fuck people over. I give you loyalty. You only get from a dog. Now don't drag my ass across the carpet and haven't got fleas and I can't lick my balls, but I would if I could, but I did give loyalty and loyalty was a big thing to me. I've never had much in my life, right? But loyalty was something that was never up for sale, was never up for question. If I got arrested with 12 keys of 12 kilos of heroin in the car, As far as the police concerned, if I get arrested with that 12 kilos, that's my drug. I'm taking that on the chin. You live inside a criminal fraternity and you are up to your eyeballs in crime and you're making money from that criminality. You have got to take what comes with it, whether that be death, whether that be stabbings, shootings, kidnappings, fucking, because obviously you're moving that amounts of money and drugs about, people see it and they want a bit of the action. And then you get drug wars and stuff with rival gangs from the same area or people coming in from other areas. And like I say, it was just uh, violent beginnings have violent endings, don't they?
0: So at this age then, before you got shot, was there any gang war for uh, people trying to take over your guys' drug business?
1: Yeah, yeah. There were some Bolton lads. that uh, Bolton, again, is like higher north of Greater Manchester and stuff, part of Greater Manchester. Uh, They came down and there was like a a drugs war going on. Now, I wasn't with them at the time, but uh, two of the gang lads, two of the lads I was running with, um, they got ambushed on Kingsway in Rochdale, which is an area of Rochdale, and um, they all jumped out with bats and stuff like that—put like uh, baseball bats, golf clubs, and things like that—and uh, attacked the kid. One of our one of uh, lads really, really bad to the point that he had a bleed on the brain and he, he nearly died. The kid, you know I mean, it, it was—he got—he had to have—he um, had to have like like say it surgery on his head and stuff to alleviate the pressure. Um, he nearly died, the kid, and then obviously what stemmed from that there was. It was alleged there was firearms incidents on the, well, there was firearms incidents on the back of that. Um, A door got shot uh, on Newbold, which is part of Rochdale. The door was shot. It was the wrong fucking door. So things like that. But um, yeah, and then like I say, I carried on working the doors and stuff. And I went from working in the local area to working in Manchester City Centre. Now there was a particular club. Now the the, the group of people I was working for on the doors were predominantly black and Asian men. Uh, I was actually the only white doorman part of this crew and the club and it was synonymous with gang violence and gangs in general and it was called originally it was called um club havana then it was called club pressure and then it became um club havana clubs hidden hidden it was known as hidden and we was we was running the door there now the club was actually being on a documentary because the interiors you as soon as you walk into the club because they've been shootings and stuff in the past it was actually like um like uh, Kevlar sort of walls and stuff built into it. <laughs> Honest to God, this is still out there for people to see. This documentary, right? Um, and you, what's, you, what's the doc called? Uh, the documentary is like Salford Gang Wars or something. And okay. it was a former gangster from Salford, who t- former gang member turned. Like cl- he was the head of security, and he, he was showing people around the club and stuff, saying, "Look, you come down here. This is all like." Um, like bulletproof, you come down here, you get wanded, then you get to the bottom of the stairs. There's like a glass proof, like um, the person's like you know, like a petrol forecourt where you've got the like the strong glass and you put put your money on a thing. Mm-hmm. Right, they take the money, they press a button, you go through like an airport style sort of turnstile to go through. You then get wanded again, searched, patted down again. Um, then eventually you get into the club. Um, but the thing is, you've got a club full of. Gangs, gang members, rival gangs as well. Gooch, Cheetah Mill, Doddington, all in the same club. All wanting to drink fucking Cristal for free, right? And this is the thing. There's actually big fucking heavy duty chains with with heavy padlocks on the fucking, like, on the fridges to open where the Cristal and that was kept. Honest to God, this was a, it was Manchester, right? I used to go to work, right, with a bulletproof vest on because I was like, it's Manchester, it's dangerous. Um, We don't have the... Obviously, America's got Second Amendment and everyone's got fucking firearms over there. The firearms have got firearms in the States. Well, obviously, firearms here in the UK are illegal, but that just because they're illegal just means that you pay a premium for them. But they was readily available. Um, and like I say, you've got one, you'll have like Doddington in one corner of the club, Gooch in the other, Cheatmill in the other. And like I say, they're all rocking up. They're all wanting to get in for free. They're all wanting to drink the Cristal for free.
0: And like I say. Um, and they're all, just to clarify this then. They're all Manchester-based gangs. Some of whom are rivals. Gooch and
1: Doddington fucking despise each other. They're from Moss Side, Alexander Estate, and that one side of the road would be Gooch Gooch Close. Then you'd have the Doddington um, Cheetah Mill. They was like notorious for armed robberies and stuff like that. Um, But like I say, they was um, all ruthless in their own way. All strapped up, carrying strapped up, carrying firearms. Um, But yeah, it was just it was such a fucking like you go to work and. I was scared, and right? I just no, I I couldn't say I was definitely going home at the end of that shift because you didn't know because if it if it goes off, like right, they're not walking up there with with all. They're all strapped and carrying whether it be firearms, machetes, the the straps and the carrying and stuff. They're coming into the club, they're demanding the the head Dormans having it with the elders. The elders are saying, look, we want to come up, and they just rush the door and stuff. Do you know what I'm saying? Which undermines your job. So then we're putting more security on, and the the fucking the tension that was in the air was palpable. Like you, you could taste, you could. You walk downstairs to walk around, and you could just fucking feel the energy. The, the intensity was there in the air. And then what the what the club started to do, when it was a fucking nightmare, was on a Tuesday, on a sorry, on a Thursday night, no, one Friday every month they'd have a stripper, two strippers. Right now, the gang lad still got in there early. Now one of the strippers was this big black guy, right. Um, it he was I he was, he was on like a fucking donkey right? honest to God. It was like a baby's arm holding an apple, and he's pulled one of the gang girls up, one of the gangsters, one of the gang lads, fucking birds up on the stage. Like he couldn't see originally, and then he's come up and he's dived onto the stage, and I'm thinking, oh my fucking god. It's gonna go off here. It's gonna go off anyway. He just pulled her off the stage and that, and then I just said to the stripper, I said, Look, I said, you need to be careful. You pick, do you know what I mean? To get him on the stage, because yeah. he can't be getting his fucking cock out and all that in front of. Because jealousy, paranoia, it goes on. Anyway, cut a long story short. Yeah, fucking months and months have passed. We, it was just, it was just one incident after another. As soon as there was an incident, as well, I remember on the stairs and stuff, I gripped a gang lad up that rushed the door, and, and then all the gang lads just surrounded me because I was the white boy of the crew. So, and I was like, I can fight, man, but a fucking firearm is a, is a, is a deadly equalizer against, it's a very good, if you've got a kid that's six stone went through and he pulls out a nine milli, uh, he, he didn't in that instance. But if he, you know the packing, you just know. Anyway, cut a long story short, uh, at the end of one shift, there was um, this guy who was hanging around the end of the bar and he's giving this shit to this bird behind the bar, like one of the barmaid's. So I've gone over and I put my hands on him. I said, Yeah, bro, come on. I said, Your last one out. Don't fucking touch me, bro, and all that. I said, All right. I said, Well, walk out then, don't you? And he and he, he didn't say anything. Normally you've got people going, listen, you little dickhead, I'll be back, me with the boys. You're you're gonna get one inside. You're, they're the ones that you're just like, yeah, yeah, mate, in a bit, you full of shit. Right. Like, this kid didn't say fuck all. I just said, Don't touch me. He's gone up the stairs. I walked once. him out. We put the sh- because the club was downstairs, we walked him upstairs, he's gone out, we've pulled the shutter down. Um, I've gone downstairs. I popped to. I was having a desperado, a peroni or peroni, some a beer, or something after work. One of the boys, I've left my phone charger in his car, biggie. I said biggie. I said, um, come and pop the door for me. The fire escape at the back. I need to go and get me charger out your phone. Uh, I was. I think I was linking up with a bird that night, and I was running low on battery. Anyway, cut a long story short. I've gone out the door at the back. Gone towards his car. The same kids. The same kid has appeared at the back of the club. Dark alley, right. But where he was stood, he was stood in the light and then he's come towards me and he just starts fucking firing. Uh, But it wasn't like, the thing is though, I've been watching so many fucking gangster films because it wasn't like two-handed like that. So he's got a safe thing here. He's put it to the side and obviously the kick is like, "Ah, but the the muzzle flash is fucking, you can see the muzzle flash. I've just ran back to the door. It was like a reinforced door because the cash office was at the bottom of the stairs. Biggie was closing the door on me. I've ran back to the door. I've grabbed the thing, and this kid's carried on firing. He was obviously the for his alcohol. I've ran back to the door. I've gripped the door and pulling the door. He's the kid's reloaded. He starts popping at the door. The door's going ting, ting, ting. And I swear to God, if that door wasn't reinforced, my head, the back on my spine, I would have had it that night. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And do you know what? I went back downstairs, and I'm not going to lie. I was fucking. I was obviously I, I, my asshole was left at the top of the stairs. I, I, I fucking. I, I was. I was like, wow. Like, fucking I'll fire this. So this. All the
0: shots missed completely. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. There was, they, like, obviously what happened from the back of that was um, the barmaid opened up. It was her ex-partner. She'd stopped him seeing the kids. Yeah. Sort of moved, I think, like, sort of moved out and was, like, working there. He's, back, just by pure chance, was on a night out with the boys there. Um, and like I say, what went on went on. Um, armed police were scrambled, um, put a containment on, uh, bullet cases and stuff, scenes of crime turned up. Um, I refused to co- to to cooperate with the police um, simply because I didn't know the guy. Do you know what I mean? I didn't know the guy from Adam, but I was a criminal, and in the criminal code in the UK or the states, there's, there's strictly supposed to be a non-snitch and don't a an no snitching um, motion. Obviously, yeah. a wall of silence. You don't speak to authorities. So the police were like, "What happened?" They said, "Don't like talking about me," and I, I I ended up like leaving the club, and that was it. We fucked off, but um. Yeah, you don't speak to the police, but that was... Uh, I actually got a, uh, a more rigid bulletproof vest on the back of that. I actually... No, genuinely, because the one I had was Kevlar and stuff, but it felt quite movable and you don't really trust your life with that sort of thing. So I actually went for a, one with... had a ceramic plate and stuff. Wow! Um, but it's Manchester. And like I say, people, Manchester, Liverpool, London, Birmingham, Glasgow, I mean, naughty areas, firearms, drugs and firearms go hand in hand and stuff. This kid... I just manhandled him and I just said, look, I just put me out. I didn't even like rag him. I just sort of said, yeah, don't fucking touch me. And that, but because I touched him, it was deemed as disrespect.
0: So had you got involved with the Noonan crime family? No, yet? no, 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 no. How did that come about? So what happened, happened then?
1: So obviously I was flinting from door to door. I was working in Blackpool, um, which is up on the coast, like a seaside town in the northwest of England, working at different bars, different clubs, Wine bars, posh places, fucking that absolute dives, like rough places. But then, um, me and my mate, we were sick of working for other people. Right, we was nobodies. I mean, he was a cage fighter, uh, and I was just been a doorman. Um, and we went to meet a company, uh, a company boss for a security company, uh, down at a student place called Factory, which is a club. Um, he was just, he just, I just didn't like his attitude. Right, so we went into a pub opposite, sat down had a beer, and I said, "Listen, why don't we just set up our own door company?" And he said, what are you saying? I said, he said, yeah, but like, because obviously door companies, security companies are owned by gangsters and heads and we're, 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 we're fucking nobodies. We just wanted to fucking, we wanted to get a cut of reaction and stuff and thought, well, the, the gay village, right, Manchester's got a famous gay village, which is known all over the UK. like I mean, Brighton." Roman
0: started out party
1: Yeah, there you go. And the th- do you know what though? It's not actually full of like gays as people think and lesbians. It's actually... Got a very big mix because straight girls go down there because they know they don't get harassed. Males know this. And then they're thinking, oh, well, all the birds go down there and stuff, so we'll go down there.
0: And it's got the best music.
1: Yeah, it's best music. The drug scene is fucking, well, I'll let you speak about the drug scene. <laughs> the drug scene, the, the gay community and straight community and the village and the music scene, drugs, are, recreational drugs are, are massive down there. Anyway, so we, went, we decided we were going to set up a door company this night and we decided that the gay village was open seven nights a week. Um, and we just chanced our arm. It was a very spontaneous moment. We'd we we, we we'd had quite a few beers at this point, and We decided to go from bar to bar because the way we looked, um, the doorman say members only, which really means that we don't like the look of your, you're not, your face doesn't fit our gay crowd, so to speak. Anyway, went to another venue and there was a doorman and he was a foreign guy and he was struggling to deal with his situation. I stepped in um, very politely defused the situation. The deputy manager saw this. I went up to him and said, look, we're interested in potentially taking this door over. Could we set up a meeting? Cut cut a long story short, we ended up eventually taking the door over from this guy that had had it for a long time. He was a very well-known figure. Um, We'd taken over the door and I was on this door. And then one night I'm just looking left, I'm looking right, and something caught my attention down the way. And then the next minute I glance left and I see this hulking big ball dead and I thought, fucking hell, I know your face. You're Dominic Noonan. Now, Dominic Noonan, for those that don't know, is a is a gangster. Um, he's from the notorious uh, Noonan crime family, and he was um, he's someone that I'd watched documentaries on and stuff like that. And I I was raised watching serial killers, gangs, and gangster documentaries. And I went on to be involved in all of the above. Um, I corresponded with serial killers, obviously mixed with gangs. Um, and then, yeah, I, I met. I met Dominic Noonan, and
0: can you explain Noonan's background and what he did to become a gangster no- and Noonan. get this fearsome reputation?
1: Yeah, he he was he was one of fourteen siblings, seven brothers, seven sisters, oh. uh, all named D because the, the the father the family originated from Ireland, Dublin. So the D was for the for the first names for all the children. Um, yeah, and he was he was known for armed robbery, prison escape, um, like serious, like dangerous, dangerous individual firearms witness intimidation, um, stupid amounts of armed robberies, stupid amounts of armed robberies. Um, but that's how he
0: carved out a reputation for himself. With well, the dead bodies on the way there.
1: Uh, Dominic had been arrested and questioned in, on a suspicion of six gangland murders.
0: Six murders? Six, six
1: gangland murders, but never convicted.
0: Um, it's like the Teflon Don.
1: Well, so it appeared at that time, yeah. <laughs> well, saying that, though, saying that, though, he'd done... At that time, he must have done twenty seven, twenty eight years of his life in prison. Oh, okay. so, so, not Teflon in the sense of serious charges like that, like mm. where you're going to get lifed off. Right? Yes, he was like nothing stuck. But then, like I said, he in and out on different armed robbery charges, this, that, and the other prison escape and stuff like that. Escape? Yeah, he escaped to down in Salford and stuff. They sprung him, um, and the fucking the, the 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 prison officer that was cuffed to that pissed himself. How did they spring him? Where was he? He was on, um, I think he was on um, just near Odsell, uh, near the Salford Lads Club, which is notorious with the Smiths, the band and like stuff. I like was going down there and they just pulled it. The, they, they just fucking boxed the fucking van in. Get out, fucking car now. And the fucking the, the firearms and all that were involved. Shot so they intercepted prison transport. Yeah, yeah, prison transport between one facility and another facility sprung him. Um, and like I say, the prison officer pissed himself he said i could hear him pissing i could smell it he said i could hear him pissing wow they, they, they uncuffed him and stuff and that was it he ended up he was at, he was at large for a while ended up being eventually caught back in custody category a prisoner or what do they call it in the state security threat group hey, mate or
0: yeah stg
1: yeah yeah stg mate yeah, so you're
0: man. rising up in the bouncer world yeah yeah. Oh, all of a sudden one night you look over is this legendary figure in the gangster community yeah. How did you guys' paths cross, didn't they? So I, I'm on
1: the door and stuff. Like I said, we held a tight door and stuff. We was good doormen. We wasn't dickheads. We had been the pissed up punters. We'd kicked out that we was knocking back. So I, I didn't have an ego or a chip on my shoulder. I was just down to down on the down to, on the on the level. So anyway, I've looked to the left and I've seen this fucking O'Kin bald headed figure. He's got, he's got a very distinctive look, Dominic. He's like I say, he's quite a la he's quite a big guy. So I looked and I thought, fucking hell, i watched documentaries on you. And like I said, I've been involved with the drug trade and like all that sort of thing. But actually meeting someone that I'd actually watched on a gangster documentary was like, wow. And like I said, I was, vested, I was interested in it anyway. So he's come to the door and he said, let me guess, members only. Now, members only, like I've alluded to, was something that you say to someone that your face doesn't fucking fit, mate. Do you know what I mean? You're not coming in our club, but that's a polite way of saying it, members only. So anyway, he said, let me guess, members only. I said, no, Said you are free to go in? He went into the venue. Uh, he was with another lad. He was doing all like he had this company called Barrel Boys. He was doing beer deliveries from the back of a van, like at three in the morning when you can't get a beer. He's, he's delivering. He's turning up. This gangster for armed robbery and firearms and stuff. He's turning up at people's things, dropping beer kegs off and like uh, crates of fucking beer and stuff. So he's gone into the club. He's had a few drinks. I made the point and I'll be straight with you. I made a point of going over to speak to him and stuff. And I was like, fucking interested mesmerized almost because you see the, you see the media headlines about, Oh, he's this, he's that. He's a gangster. He's feared. He's this, he's that. And then like, I don't like taking what people say because people like sheep and they believe everything they fucking read. Right? And like I say, they've got an agenda. So I was like, right, speak to the person. Don't read the papers. Take what he is like. So I had some interaction with him, spoke, spoke to him, end up swapping numbers with him. Um, the next day, me and my uh, guy that I was working on the door with, my mate, my business partner, like I said, this was our door. Contract was worth like, what, 54 grand a year to both of us, like split down the middle. Went and met him the next day. Um, met him outside the Printworks, which is a former printing press, turned like a, it's like a New York street inside a building with bars, restaurants, cinema, things like that. I met him outside there. Uh, he was late because the armed police had stopped him. He was under he was under constant, constant Surveillance and stuff. It wouldn't surprise me if MI five and MI six and everything were on him. Uh, remember, he was he had strong Republican ties, uh, the Irish Republican Army and stuff, terrorism. Yeah, he had strong ties to the organization, like the IRA and IRA sympathies and stuff, on a United Ireland. Um, so, I was a former British Army soldier, which is just fucking mental. Because I remember once I was I was in a I was in a car with Dominic and I was it was me, Dominic, somebody else who I won't name, and somebody else, and I was like know, I'm sat in the middle, in the back, and thinking, you know, I'm not tied up, I'm not in handcuffs, or fuck all this. It's all right, this. Uh, but yeah, like I said, in the eyes of, I, I went from being an associate to being a friend, and I was constantly with him, very much so for for several years. I was
0: For several years,
1: several years. I was I was by his side. I so you're was
0: bodyguarding him then.
1: It, I don't say that, but in the eyes of the police and police intelligence, that's the way. Because I was a doorman, and I'm, like I say, six foot three, people the way that it was, and when I was on the documentary, the way that it was perceived was ease Dominic's mind. I know I don't say that. I was just a loyal friend that had his back, but like I say, people use that word, don't they? people throw.
0: And what dangerous situations arose over that period of time? Was that when you got stabbed?
1: <sighs> oh no, I've been, I've been stabbed fucking numerous times. <laughs> like I said, I've been lucky not to, uh, when I was on the door, someone tried to shank me up, but I was, I was wearing a vest. So the, the vest took the impact of the blow. Uh, but, Fucking scars all over my hands and stuff, but no, with Dominic and stuff, it was just like the police. the The police, the heat from the police was absolutely astronomical. I mean, obviously, this guy, like I said, you've got to think firearms, prison escape, fucking armed robberies. Even when he wasn't active, the police thought he was active, and we was very, very conscious of police surveillance and police tactics and stuff. Um, like sometimes we'd be in cars, we wouldn't use mobile phones because if you've got a mobile phone on you or a cell phone. For those in the States, you're banging off cell sites, which is where you're getting your signal from and stuff from the phone masher. Yeah. That can pinpoint you and stuff. Dominic's obviously been out of prison. Uh, they, when he, when I actually met him, he'd actually not been allowed into the city centre of Manchester for several years. I think probation lifted it that day, where he was actually allowed to go into Manchester city centre. He'd not been into the city centre of Manchester for several years. And obviously been in prison. Um, he was actually caught with a firearm and several bullets. Um, his brother, uh, God bless him, Desmond, um, was 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 stabbed to death by a, a drug dealer in Charlton. Um, uh, Desi became a, I didn't know Desi. I just made that apparent. Um, but he became addicted to crack cocaine. He'd been drinking at a pub in Den. Um Turned up at this dealer's uh, yardy called Derek McDuffus to score some crack. Uh, Desi couldn't stand up. An altercation happened. Derek McDuffus produced a knife, stabbed Desi uh, a couple of times. Desi internal bleeding and stuff, tragically passed away in that incident. Um, it was alleged then that Dominic was, where Dominic was living, he was living in a bungalow at the time. And in the tree uh, adjacent to the house, the police had set up surveillance cameras in the tree. Right? And he was supposed to use one car, he ended up going in this other car, and in it was a Jaguar. And in the, in the engine compartment, it was actually a storage thing made. And there was, a, there was a revolver, and I think it was nine bullets. And what the police tried to say is that Dominic was on the way to avenge his brother's death. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was on the way to the northeast and stuff, got arrested, uh, Every armed police escort and stuff, to and from the court and the trial and stuff like that. It reminded us, day. Derek McDuffis was charged with a murder, um, ended up in Strangeways, uh, HMP Manchester Strangeways prison, Category A prison, high security prison in Manchester.
0: That's where we had the guard... Um- Neil Samworth. Yeah, yeah, Sam. He was speaking about those prisons. Yeah. And oh. people were saying, bring someone who's been in those prisons. Yeah. But yeah, keep going with the, the uh, Noonan story.
1: Yeah, yeah. So Derek McDuffus, he ended up in strange ways. Within a few hours of him arriving at the prison, uh, he was hospitalized uh, severely because obviously what the crime he committed about how respected and feared Des- Desmond was. Um, like I say, he was a gangland enforcer. Um, On a documentary, uh, he was questioned how many alleged murders and hits he carried out. Um, The the Donald McIntyre said 24. He said it wasn't 24, it was 20, uh, like 27. Um, And then, like I say, um, Desi was tragically killed and stuff. And like I said, I didn't have anything to do with Desi. I'm just touching base with that story. But yeah, Derek McDuffish was attacked in prison. Dominic was arrested for the firearms and the bullets that were in the engine compartment of the vehicle. Um, and like I say, he was obviously jailed on the back of that. And then he got out and that's when we ended up meeting up. And like I say, I was with him a lot. And the thing is we'd use, we, rather than using mobile phones, we'd have like 50 mile radios and stuff. We change the frequency regular, regularly. Uh, Dominic tried to set up a business GMP, which that's is what, actually- That's oh, what
0: Escobar did with the radio phones and the frequencies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: 50 mile radios, call signs and stuff like that. So you'd never know who the call sign was for Dominic. Um, Things like that, but he set up a parcel business. Now, this was funny, this. He's trying to piss the police off. They, they, Dominicates the police, but rather than trying to just avoid it, he'd go head to head with the police. And if you try to fight the system, the system will fuck you in your ass and will put you in jail. So anyway, he set up a parcel company called GMP. Now, GMP, for those that don't know, is an abbreviation for Greater Manchester Police. And he set up GMP parcels, right, to mm-hmm. piss the police off. Uh, and he was, he was just... Um, he had a lot of entrepreneurial ideas and stuff like that. And like I said, he pissed the police off. We knew it was being surveilled by the police. So I remember one time he came up and I met him. He wasn't driving. We met on a tram. I get on a tram and the first thing he said to me, have you noticed anything? I look around and there's a, the, the, the tram was very busy, but there's a male and a female. And I said, they're, they're old building. He said, yeah, they are. So we've come off the tram. Oh, an old
0: bill means oh, police. Oh, old bill
1: means police. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Sorry, coppers. The, the, yeah, so we got off the tram at the the end station, gone up the escalator. We was only meeting somebody at the top to give them some money. Turn around and come back. The coppers are like a few steps behind us, coming up the fucking coming up the escalator behind up up. Uh, and then we got to the top. We handed the money over to the kid. We turned around and came back. They then hot footed it behind us. So we we fucking knew we fucking knew. So when we got on the tram, uh, the next stop, we waited for the. The tram was like beep 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 on the door as the door was about to close, and we just slid through the door. And as the as the police was just waving them off like that. Because the thing is, in one operation, they spent like one million pounds surveilling Dominic in a six month period. Wow! It was constant, constant.
0: What was the scariest moment working for him, for you? <sighs>
1: just, do you know what? Like, right? there wasn't that many. Like, we were people up and we do what we was doing and stuff. But like, just the the, the one thing that was. Annoying me and frustrating me was the police attention because, because I, I was running doors by night, right? And I've got fucking police raiding me. There's no one in the club and the police are raiding the club and all that. I've got armed police coming through me fucking door, three, four in the morning. No, but I'm fucking winding me up. I'm sat there. I'm like, you know what? Like there's no police. Inside. They just kicked me door through. And when they went for Dominic, they go for me, right? Um, and then it, it got a bit messy with these fucking, this, this family that we used to knock around with who were criminals, right? The father his fucking his monkey sons, right? His, his sons were fucking weirdos, right? And there was a fallout between Dominic and this 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 man and his and his male kids, right? He had like five six kids, yeah. And uh, he was up on stolen barric, barric, ca- stolen caravan charges. This guy, and he was working with the police. He was a police informer, mm-hmm. um, supplying information on Dominic. In, and like I said, he saw me as the police saw me as Dominic's right man. So he was serving us up and stuff and giving things that were happening that were like, there's no way the police could have known all this. And anyway, he ends up getting Dominic nicked on a witness intimidation charge. I went, was tied into that. I ended up in fucking strange ways, first time in prison. Uh, this family alleged that I rang them through 22nd through a fake Irish accent. No cooperating evidence, no forensics, no DNA. The phone box was forensically in DNA examined, nothing. Um this family were under police protection because obviously they saw the police saw the threat as credible. Uh, they had dictaphones, they had call recording apps on the phones. Um four calls were alleged to have been made, one to have been made by me. Um the pl- the police arrested me, questioned me, and charged me in the space of twelve hours with no evidence at all. What was
0: your charge? Uh,
1: witness intimidation. Um end up in the paper, a very small article. Um that was my first time in prison.
0: Right. So you're going in prison on remand now, yeah, as on yeah. sentence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How old are you at this point? I was 30. I was actually
1: 30. It took the police till I was 30. And let me tell you, the things I've been arrested for, I don't know I've not been in prison before because I've been very, like when I was criminally active, a balaclava, a set of gloves, and being digitally and forensically aware can actually count for a lot. And the police might know something's you, but it's physically fucking proving it. And like I say, um, I've been arrested for, like I say, firearms, witness intimidation, threats to kill, fucking section 18, possession with poison to to danger life, offensive weapons, ex- fucking drugs, all sorts of things, right? But this, I, I, I sort of was getting, I was never arrogant with it because I knew that the police could fuck me at any moment. And Dominic always said to me very early on, let me tell you, there'll be a one day you will end up on charges with me. and. You will be sent. You'll be sold, You'll be sent down the river because you're guilty by association. Because Dominic Noonan was number one on Great Manchester Police's shit list, massively so.
0: How did it feel your first day going into prison?
1: So what happened was I was arrested at three, five past three on a Saturday afternoon. Was kicked, Was charged at about three o'clock on the Sunday morning. There's no court on a Sunday, so they kept me until the Monday to go on, up on a what they call a bail application. Uh, at Trafford Magistrates Court, so I put on a prison sweatbox. This is the first time I've been in a prison sweatbox. What does that mean? Uh, sorry, a prison van. A prison van. Um, I was at the police station. A van had pulled in. Um, I was cuffed up. Um, this to a prison officer. It's got like a leather band, and they've got a cuff. I'm cuffed up. I'm put onto this prison van. Uh, I'm in the same clothes that I was arrested in. I feel dirty. I feel manky. Um, I just thought it was a technicality that I was going to court and I was going to get bail and I was going home that night. Get tr- transferred to the courthouse uh, up in Trafford because the allegation came out of Stretford, which is near where Manchester United's football ground is, soccer team. Um, get there. I go up for a meeting with my solicitor in the, in, in the cells and stuff, right? Just in the cells. And he said to me, even if you get bail today, you were going to prison tonight because there's a thing in the UK that if the Crown Prosecution Service who bring the charges um, appeal, you get what they call a 40 hour recall. So you go to prison for 48 hours and then you back up on a bail application. Um, I just thought I, I was just couldn't process that information. I'm like, hang on, like, hold on. So there's no forensics, there's no DNA, there's no call recording. There's no fuck call on this alleged phone call for 20 seconds. And you're telling me I'm going to prison tonight. And he's like, yeah, I said, bro, I've not even packed a bag. He said, you're going to jail tonight. And I was like, for fuck's sake. So I've gone up into the dock because I've still got to do the, they've got to put me before the bench. I go up to the court and stuff. It's, it's a magistrate's court. I don't know what the alternative would be in the States. Um, gone up, sat there. And then the, the judge is like giving me bail. So I'm thinking, hold on, I'm fucking going home. He's not, he's not appealed. Anyway, then as as the judge gives me bail, I'm standing there. And then this fucking C- Crown Prosecution Service guy, the CPS guys we call them, he waves his piece of paper I'm appealing. Oh, fucking hell. My legs were going like jelly. I swear to God, I was like Elvis stuff when I got my legs. Were like, oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, honest to God, I was, I'm not going to lie to you. I can do the whole match macho thing and tell you that, oh, yeah, well, I weren't asked and stuff. I'll be straight with you. I was very, very anxious and worried about what was, co- I, I'd, I'd, I like I said, I'd been phys- I'd been a, a very aggressive. I'd hurt people. I'd worked on the doors. I'd never fucked anybody over, but, Obviously, rivals and stuff, and then you're getting paid to hurt people. You do what you're paid to do. It's a job. So I'm thinking, hold on, this notorious prison that was the scene of the Strangeways riots back in 1990, which is the longest prison riot in the UK, um, like prison system. And I'm going to that prison. Um, so I've been remanded into custody. Uh, I go downstairs. It, it, I felt fucking numb. I'll be honest with you. I felt sick. I was worried. I was anxious and um, didn't know if I was sharing a cell with ten people. I didn't know if I got a TV in my cell. I didn't know if I'm pissing and shitting in a bucket. I didn't know. I've been a hardened criminal and mixed with serious, like, mobsters and organized criminals. But because in my brain, I'm never going to prison because you always think, well, that's not going to happen but, to me. Yeah. I got to 30, so I'm thinking, fucking hell, I, I'm not going to jail. Fuck that. Anyway, so then next minute, um, I'm down in the cell. She gives me a sandwich. She gives me a drink. And I said to her, so from this, from from each courthouse, you go to a specific serves a local prison, certain prison. So I said, from here, do I go to Strange Ways or the Ways, as we call it, HMP Manchester. And she went, Strange Ways could be locked out. You could end up in any prison in the north of England. Right. I'm thinking, oh any prison, any prison. Not Strange Ways. Because I know it's a high security facility. It's one of eight in the UK. Um, anyway, she because I was like being charming with her because she was a bit fit and I wanted to shag her, but then she popped me door and she goes, Right, you're taking the last place on that prison van going to Strange Ways. Mm-hmm. The rest of them are going to prisons in the north of England. I thought, oh, for fuck's sake, I shouldn't have fucking flirted with you. Right. Anyway, so I'm in the back of the prison van. Then I get cuffed again. Take me to this fucking prison van. I'm thinking, oh, for fuck's sake. I get into the prison van, right? I'm sat in this tiny cell in this, like it's like a mobile fucking cell. Like you can't swing a cat. It's a little seat. You've got two-way plastic, like like one-way glass, you can see out, they can't, people can't see in. And I'm thinking. This is how I envisage my fucking my Monday morning starting out. And then I'm in the van and I'm thinking, oh my fucking God, I don't know what's coming. I, I, I've got no clothes. I've got me, I've got me, my, my place to look after. What the fuck's going on? Anyway, as I'm on the van, just spiraling into depression, thinking, oh, my life's fucked. But I, was, I started to think then, well, hold on, I'm going to prison. I want to get skills, training, education. I'm going to have a second chance at society. How fucking misguided and stupid was I? Right. Everything that I'd, Thought prison was was like no, so I'm on the prison van. People shouting, "We're going home! We're going home!" They they're loving it. They they're jailbirds. Then they're like they they're like, "We're going home! We're going home!" I'm sorry. Oh shit! But yeah, I'm sat there thinking, "Oh my fucking god!" I'm sat there and I thought, "These lot of lunatics." I'm thinking, "Why are they cheering and stuff?" We're going I to know. back to fucking, we're going to a prison. Are you fucking stupid? Anyway, um, they're, they're shouting to the prison officer, "Miss, miss, can we go through McDonald's drive-through, miss?" And I'm thinking, "Oh my fucking god!" My world's come crashing down, and these jokers at left and right of me and that are fucking buzzing, um, excited and that. And I'm thinking, "Oh god!" So anyway, the journey sets off and stuff, and I'm looking at things and I'm thinking, "Yeah, that's the last time I'm going to see one of them." Because there was no charges against me. So what I couldn't grasp the reality of was, how the fuck am I going to prison with no evidence? Because I wasn't aware of holding charges and shit like this at the time. And obviously, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, Dominic did say, if you ever get arrested with me, you're going to prison. And they'll probably throw the book at you as well because you're guilty by association because I'm number one on Greater Manchester Police's shit list. They ate me. The judges fucking hate me. He said, so I'm sat there thinking, of all the people and all the crimes, right, why do I have to be Dominic Noonan's co-defendant on a fucking witness intimidation for fuck's sake um so what was the intake like? The intake was oh mate like right, so we 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 get to the prison right, and I've been at this prison to see Dominic on visits John previously and stuff, and then we get to the gate and this steel gate just opens and stuff, and we drive in and then people at screws are getting on the sweatbox and stuff making sure that the right amount of people are in security checks and stuff, and then they go through the next thing and then they're bringing people off one at a time, and then it's my turn, so they open the door put on a latch. Put me hand out, cuff me, bring me out, put me in. Um, I'm walking in, and I don't know. What you call a screw in the UK a governor or a boss or a fucking sir? And I'm like, yeah, mate, yeah, mate. You say, I'm not your fucking mate. I'm like, I'm thinking if I weren't cuffed, I'd smash you a fucking head. I, I, I just, it, I was in their domain. I, I was so out of my fucking depth, right? It was untrue. Anyway, so the guards,
0: mate, you call them sir?
1: Yeah, yeah. In the UK, in the UK prison system, you call them boss, gov, sir. I mean miss if it's a female yeah uh, gov boss governor whatever so I've gone through um and then next minute he's like right go in there and take your clothes off and I said come again like and he said take go in there and strip naked he said do your top half first and then we do your bottom half I'm thinking yeah I thought this is what I signed up for and stuff and they're standing there with fucking latex gloves on and I'm thinking is this a cavity search do you know what I mean I thought, what the fuck's going on and stuff? I thought I was going to start digging for oil, but that was just there in case of there was anything on your person that they'd have to grab. Like if you've got drugs hanging from your anal cavity or you've got them cheeked, as they call it. Cheeks is where you put drugs between your butt, your ass cheeks. Um,
0: yeah, in America, they had the finger wave. In Arizona, where they actually stuck a rubber-gloved finger up your ass yeah. to see if there's any drugs in your anus, but it got ruled unconstitutional, so they stopped it.
1: Yeah, uh, Well, honest to God, well, they're standing there. I've got two big sh- burly screws in that there. Like, I'm thinking, like, I'm standing there, start bullet naked as the day I was born, thinking, uh, I'm not having a good time in prison right now. And I'm not even fucking, I'm not even, I've not even started this journey yet. I'm fucking, this is a bit intimate. I mean, I didn't even get his name. Do you know what I mean? And I'm standing there, start walking naked, and he's telling me to squat and all this. And I'm thinking, what the fuck's going on? Then um, I saw a doctor. I got a two-minute phone call, literally two minutes. Do you know what I mean? Um, I didn't get a chance to write down fucking numbers, knowing I was going to jail and all that. So I didn't have anyone to ring because I didn't know anyone's fucking number. I'm thinking, if I ring the police now, they let me out. Do you know what I mean? 999 or something. But no. um, So I was processed, um, got strip searched, put me in prison clothing, the jeans I had on because there were so many pockets and stuff like that, they deemed them to be a security risk. Took my jeans off me, handed some ill-fitting fucking prison issue tracksuit bottoms, um, put me in a prison t-shirt. Um, I had some big, like, Timberland boots on. They took them off me. I was in fucking plimsoll trainers. I'm thinking, hey, if I can run fast enough, I get away from these fuckers, because plimsoll trainers used to run dead fast when I was mm-hmm. in school. But then next minute, I'm putting a holding cell. And this big holding cell, the TV's in a fucking case. A while, I'm thinking... We're not going to try and steal out, mate. We're in jail, um, and then I'm in this. I'm in this for several hours.
0: How many people are in the cell? Uh,
1: it got progressively fucking bigger because as the prison vans were coming from different courts and stuff, people that were on like they call it a retainer, where you go like rather than going to another prison, uh, they come straight back to strange ways. They, they was kept. They was coming back to strange ways. People that have been on trial, people that have been up on bail applications, people that have been remanded into custody, or like I say, convicted. Um, so I'm sat in this thing in. Everyone's talking like they're all best of mates, and I'm thinking. First time in my life I thought, I shouldn't be here. I fucking shouldn't be here. How am I here? And they're like, what are you in for? I said, I didn't do it. And he was like, yeah, well, that's what we all say. You know what I mean? <laughs> he said, yeah, no one ever did. It was the, It was my solicitor that fucked me or something like that. <laughs> so I'm sat there and stuff. And then they bring in some food and it, 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 it some sort of casserole. And, I, I, and then it was in a polystyrene thing and I'm drinking it and stuff. And I'm standing up and I said, "I said, there's no door on the toilet. He said, yeah, you're in prison now, lad. He said, he said, that's how it is. There was just like a fucking bog with no toxse in the in this like room. It was like a urinal and a bog. And I was like, Well, there's no seat on the finger and no door. And that said, No, you're in prison now. What do you expect? I think I had like the Hilton pictured in the back of my mind or something. <laughs> anyway, so then after a few hours, it was like, right, because obviously prisoners go into different wings. Some, if the like VPs are kept separate, VPs is vulnerable prisoners, chomos, uh, sex offenders, rapists paedophiles, child murderers, things like that. Uh, they was kept separate. Um, but then, like, one of the lads, he was bad on the drugs, so he was going up onto I-Wing, which I think was detox. Um, and then, as they eventually, it, it must have been 20 to 9, and they come and say, right, come on, we're taking it to him. I'm thinking, thank for that. I've been here about six hours, mate, right? But I'm on their time now, do you understand? Like, I, it, it was a shock to the system. Yeah, I mean, you've been, you've been through jail. But uh, anyway, so the, as we start going towards the wing, this, this, this Screw's radio, Screw prison officer, by the way, Screw's prison officer, um, his alarm starts going off. Right? and he's like, um, induction wing, induction wing, right. So he's like, right. So we had to take us back to the thingy because it was kicking off on the induction wing. It was, it was really going off. It was it must have been about another hour before they eventually took us up. And then they opened this door, and I've got all my belongings. Well, say all my belongings, just like um, no, my bedding, and stuff was in the cell. They give me my t-shirt. I had my boots in my thingy in me, like a see-through bag, and then the prison paperwork. What they give me uh, on in like through the like um whilst I was being processed. Take me up onto this wing anyway. Get onto this wing. I walk in. It was like Shawshank Redemption shit, right? Like You could see from the ground floor to the fourth floor. Like You call it your ground floors, your ones, your first landings, your classes, your twos, then your threes and your fours. Right? And I walked onto this wing and everything I thought that prison was, if I was to paint a mental picture, what prison was, that was it. And I didn't know if I was on wings with murderers. I didn't know if there was in for shoplifting. I'm just thinking I'm in a fucking high security prison and it only actually houses 40 Category A prisoners, but it's built to a maximum security standard. And fucking hell, it's like Fort Knox. And uh, honest to God, the bars have got bars. You know what I mean? It, it's fucking crazy. And then they put me, I thought, oh, I'm going to get a nice single cell, en suite. Oh my fucking God. Right. Take me up onto the fourth landing. Throw me a bedding pack, um, which was a sheet. A sheet, like a woolly sort of sheet. Um, a plastic cup, a plastic knife, a plastic fork, a plastic spoon. A bar of soap, two prison shower gels, um, and a prison toothbrush and some prison toothpaste, uh, and then they, they they open this cell and right like, there's your cellmate, and then there's a guy sitting there watching telly, Irish lad, right, smoker, which fuck I'm not a smoker, that drove me insane. But the thing is, I entered his cell and I'm thinking, right, like, is it like, is my name on the tenancy? We fifty-fifty here, but you walk into somebody's cell in jail and that's your first time in that cell. He's the that's his cell. You're housed in his cell. You know how it goes. So anyway, I, I, he's watching TV. I'm thinking, I don't really want to watch this. My head, head was just fucked. I'm thinking, i got a missus on the out as well. I'm thinking, I'm never going to have sex again. I'm thinking, I'm never going to get out of jail. Why am I in jail? Like, What, what are the rules? Because I'm reading this book of prison rules, and I think, I'm thinking, right, I'm going to write a letter because me, my mum didn't have a clue. No one knew where I was. No one knew where I fucking was. No one had a clue. So anyway, I start to write a letter. He, he's tired, turns the TV off, turns the light off. He can't write in the fucking dark. I spent the rest of the night with my arms behind my head just thinking, I didn't sleep much night like that night. I was just... So focused. when he turned the light
0: off, yeah. did he know you were writing the letter? Uh,
1: I think so, because I was on the bottom bunk. So, did you yeah. feel
0: disrespected?
1: Yeah, definitely, yeah. but and the did thing you restrain yourself? Yeah, I was sort of thinking, like, I'm not scared of anyone. I mean, I don't do fear, but I was just like, I think I'm fucking writing here. And I thought, you know what? I thought... My first time in prison, I don't know the rules. I mean, I could be padded up with this kid for for the rest of the time, I'm fucking ill. So um, I just, I sort of just kept my mouth shut. thinking, all right, tomorrow's another day. Live and learn. Anyway, so the next day I did a, what they call an induction, which is an induction to the prison. The rules, the do's, the don'ts. Well, that's the, the prison officers, like took me into a room. You get all the lads that came in the night before an intake, take you up to this classroom. They show you like, don't set cell fires. Don't borrow because in the UK, if you borrow something, you've got to pay double back or double bubble or double trouble, as we call it. At the time, the smoking ban wasn't enforced. So if you borrowed a quarter of tobacco, you'd have to give half ounce back. You borrow half ounce, you've got to give an ounce back. You borrow a shower gel, you've got to give two back. Double bubble, it's how it goes. I mean, there's prison rules and then there's the fucking prisoner's rules and fuck the prison rules. It's the prisoner's rules you don't want to fall foul of. Fall foul of them and stuff and you can end up Fucking dead, do you know what I mean. Or, so, for someone
0: who's never been to prison, can you explain what are the prison rules of the Manchester prison system?
1: So the rules were like it was basic on the intake and stuff. He said if you think setting a cell fire is going to get you moved to another prison or like put in a single cell or whatever, that's not going to happen. Don't borrow things. Respect the fucking prison. If don't smoke on the landing, don't walk to the shower barefoot. Um, don't borrow things. Don't take drugs. Fucking all of you. Just like basic. Can't like just the rules of the prison there's a lot there's actually quite a lot of prison rules there's a lot of them and like I say I was sort of sat there my head still going at a million miles an hour and I'm sort of watching him thinking right I ain't got a fucking clue what's going on about me. I'm not going to be here long right uh, and he's going on about the rules and the regulations and stuff and away from that I'm saying to the lads, I ain't got a fucking clue mate he's, oh you've been in jail loads me mate it's like an revolving door for me I'm here all the time me mate and I'm thinking yeah well I haven't mate this I'm not I knew that I could survive prison, but I'm not going to lie. I was still fucking anxious and very nervous because, like I say, this, it's a very highly, like, I think it's about fifteen, sixteen hundred 1,600 prisoners in the jail. Like I say, I don't know if I'm housed with a serial killer, with a murderer. I don't know. I don't know how category of prisoners work and who's in there for why. I ain't got a fucking clue. I just think don't ask. And then the meals and stuff. I'm walking across the hot plate to get me fucking dinner. And because I'd not been able to put my menus in like, for my food, I'm on vegetarian option. I'm a big fucking fat growing lad. Right? The guy six stone, the, the guy that's next to me is about six stone wet through. He gets the same size portion I get. I'm thinking, right, well, obviously it's gonna take more to fill me. I said, bro, I said, can I have some more, mate? He said, It's not Oliver Twist, mate. Because no, honest to God, the guy that was serving me, because you get served <laughs> by prisoners, yeah. I've gone across the hot plate and I'm like, I said, Diane, hey, mate, can I can you can you spoon up for me? Can I get can I get some more, please? He's like, He said, This isn't Oliver Twist, mate. He said, You're in jail now. And he, because he obviously clocked straight away, you're not fucking, you're fucking new to this gig, aren't you? And then they handed me the, a cereal pack, a child sized cereal pack, and a, and a small can of milk. And I was like, yeah, that's not going to cover that. And I actually asked, I asked for another milk. And again, he's just like, you yeah, ain't got a clue, have you, mate? I said, no, I haven't actually. I walked off and then he said, John, some bread outside. So I, was like, I grabbed the bread. The bread had been left out for fucking hours. It was all oxidized and fucking like cardboard and shit. And then I thought, oh, I'm looking around for the tables, thinking I've seen it in American films where you you hit you all eat in the same room. I said, no, mate, you go and eat in your cell. You so get up here now, get behind your door. So I've gone up, and locked me in my cell. I'm, I'm sat right near to the shitter or the toilet, right, thinking, hold on, the fucking what's going on here? I'm 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 eating too, like I sound like a snob, but I'm eating right near to the toilet. And I'm thinking, <laughs> what the fuck? The, the, our cell, right at the time, right the the, the the construction. There's there's three types of cells in in strange ways, right. You've got your single cell uh, with with your toilet at the back, uh, like behind your bunk. You've got a double cell with the same setup, and then you've got a double ensuite, right. Uh, well, my first few cells were just fucking double with a fucking bog at the back, a metal carzy you man. You know what I mean, P- padmate's pissing all over the seat and all that. I'm trying to take a crap, yeah. I, I'm taking a shit. I could have fucking plaited his hair while I'm on the bog. I'm that close. And I'm thinking, but then the smell resonates, right? And it gets into your clothes and stuff. You've got your mm. clothes hung up. Well, uh, he had his clothes hung up. He's like, bro, can you, I'm thinking, Canelo, I'm having a shit. What do you want me to do, mate? i tell you what though, urinating and defecating in front of another man is definitely a new law. I was like, what the fuck? It was like desensitizing, quite dehumanizing and quite embarrassing, to be honest with you. And then like, a pad, the, the screws don't knock on your pad before they open your pad. They just pop your door. And I'm thinking, I, I got caught in a cell. I, I got caught with my dick in my hand a few times. I got caught having a shit a few times. And then it was embarrassing at first. Then you just realize that this is prison and that just get on with it. Anyway, um, I ended up going up on another bail application. That was not back. Um, I got another one. And then you've got to have a change in circumstances. The They changed the, the the charge from witness intimidation to attempted. Now that would warrant another what we call a bail application so I can get bail so I can be released from prison. Um, And I'm sat there with my solicitor on a legal visit and he's like, well, we want to wait for a bigger crack in the finger. And I'm thinking, so if you're sat here where I'm sat, mate, it's your first time in jail, right? And you've got a new, you you can apply for a a bail app. Why the fuck am I going to wait? I said, get me out of here. Put the bail app in, was rejected. I think for fuck's sake. Anyway, in between all this, it's kicking off on the wing. People smearing themselves in their own shit. There was a guy, my pad mate, I got padded up with an IPP kid called Connell from Bolton.
0: What does IPP mean? Well for the IPP, Americans? like
1: indeterminate public protection, or in prison for public protection. Uh, it was um, they pretty much had no release date. They had a minimum tariff to serve, and then it was at the, it was at the, the discretion for to send it. It's actually been abolished now. It's abolished in 2012, but not retrospectively.
0: So some people like Danny G, who we've mentioned yeah. in another podcast, yeah. he's on IPP yeah. now, isn't he? Yeah. So that means... He served well over his tariff, but... They let gonna... you out when they feel like they're going to let you Pretty out. Pretty so much, you can just yeah. keep staying forever.
1: Pretty much, yeah. yeah. You can get lot... IP pre-prisoners. I know you had Pepsi. Pepsi Watson. Pepsi Watson. Was, yeah. Pepsi Watson. He, he, I think he was ipp We call it IPP'd off. I, uh, I think he was IPP'd off. Yeah. And it's... He calls it state assisted murder, like state
0: murder. Yeah, he's campaigning for it. Yeah, a yeah. million
1: percent. And like I say, I've never been IPP, but I've witnessed what IPP prisoners go through on a on a, on a daily basis. He was jumping through hoops for probation. If he doesn't play ball with probation and the offender management unit in prison, they would have just put a big red cross next to his name. So he jumped through hoops for him. Yes, sir. No, sir. Three bags full, sir. Yeah. He asked for an oral hearing because it was coming up from before the parole board. You've got a paper panel where they just look at it on its merit on what's there, or you can go in and, like, represent it, and you come across better in person. He asked for an oral hearing. They give him a paper panel, rejection, slid it under his door, and rejected. Another 12 months before he can apply. Smash the fuck out the cell. I, I'm hugging onto the TV, thinking, please don't kill me. So this is your cell, mate? This is my pad, mate, yeah, Connell. The Irish me. guy? No, no, no. The, the Irish guy ended up getting fucking... He ended up getting moved. We We end up just... He got, I think he got out, or he got shipped out. I ended up being padded up with this IPP kid then. I see. Yeah, and uh, Connell was from Bolton. He was, he was a loose cannon, taking every drug he could get his fucking hands on. Right, uh, he's getting prescription medication, and he's, I'm walking in, I'm thinking that's an oral tablet. That he's breaking it up into a pill, and he's fucking snorting it off the side. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, he he came by smashing the cell up. He he was he 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 got a lot of excitement right, and I could never grasp it. Uh, he liked to put. He likes to try to, he had a lot of elucidated LSD trips, right? and he liked to, let's say, spike other people. Oh, no. Kettles and such. Uh, he give one, there's a kid that came in, severe mental health issues, right? He was in for uh, Jordan. He was in for stealing a load of cars, right? Not the cleverest kid. Um, and he said, look, he said, drop a load of these LSD. These will sort you right out. The kid never taken LSD before. Next minute, He's in a cell, two cells down, smashing up his cell, thinking there's a fire-breathing dragon, trying to tr- trying to kill him off in a pad. Mm-hmm. Absolutely hallucinogenics, laughing off his tits. Then he, I was just like, I don't know. The kid the kid had issues anyway. I think he had paranoid delusions anyway. And then the next minute, people are throwing trips down his neck. Mm-hmm. And he, like I said, I was very wary whenever I took a drink from him that he didn't spike it. He was like my prison wife, though. He, he No, it sounds fucked up, right? He'd been in prison 11 years on and off, right? Yes he was, they have constricts and stuff like that with a kettle. In strange ways, you've got a kettle. He'd take the wires out of the kettle. He'd learn how to make a spark and stuff like caveman sort of shit. Yeah. Very clever prison craft. It's called very, very or constricts we call it. Um, and he used to make me prison porridge and stuff. And he'd break down oatmeal biscuits and stuff. And he'd make me milky coffees by putting milk in a bag. And I'm, fat, I'm sat there and stuff. We had a really good, like a rapport and stuff. And he was dyslexic and stuff. He used to, he used to get very angry. i say, what's up? And he'd say, I don't want to say anything, but I can't read. and a lot of the prisoners in the UK have got a reading age of like a nine to 10 year old, uh, quite a high percentage. So I used to write, read his letters and write his letters for him and stuff like that. Uh, we was getting out of the party end up. I was on the phone. We'd been strange ways. Is his pride, a ruthless jail, 22, 23 hour lockup. You, you get association every day. Sometimes it's just exercise though. exercise. You, if you want it, you get on your buzzer. There's a red buzzer outside your cell. You go downstairs, you go outside, you walk around the counterclockwise. Um, there came a point where we have been locked up for 36 hours due to staffing levels and stuff and uh, we get out and I get on the phone uh, the prison phone there's like three four of them on my the wing um, and I'm trying to ring the girl I was with at the time and next minute my pad mate's fighting with a kid called Beckett from across the landing over something petty um, and then we like they're knocking the fuck out of each other we've just been locked up for 36 hours we've just been allowed out and then these two are fighting so all the lads are like you better fucking stop it now we'll smash your fucking heads in Um and they just stopped fighting because obviously everyone was ready for fucking fun. and remember stabbings are going on on the wing. Uh, kids set a cell on fire. Then I, I literally grew a conscience in prison because I'm forced to see my fellow man going through turmoil physically mentally, emotionally. Some people, if, you, if you've if you got nothing on the outside of prison, or you, say you've been homeless and you come into jail, right? prison's probably a welcome escape. Three meals a day, roof over your head, drugs on tap if you want them. If you've got a missus and a kid's and a house and a life on the out and you go to jail, the psychological effect it takes on you is fucking astronomical. And the silent victims in that are prisoners' families for the most part as well. Yeah, they they definitely, definitely live it. Um, but yeah, just... The jail was just ruthless, man. Like I say, I couldn't get over the thing. Like, I saw two kids knocking the fuck out of each other over biscuits. His pad made it and his biscuits. And they did have it on the... Rolling around on the landing. And I'm thinking... But little things in prison become big things. Big things can become mountains. Mountains can make your fucking head explode. Um, but, the, but the the amount of times, like, there was one kid and he was knocking, up, he was smashing the fuck out of his cell downstairs and he was right below us, right? And he was a foreign guy. Fucking bastard, bloody bastard. And, oh, it was morning, noon and fucking night, Like, right? And I said to the, to, to the screw, I said, you need to, we was up on the twos. I said, you need to get him off this fucking wing, mate. He's doing my nutting. And we couldn't get to him because he was locked behind his fucking door. And then I popped his flap. He's covered in his own shit, like head to toe. Like, and I, he must have had the runs, right? Because he, I swear to God, covered in shit, covered in shit. He, he, his pad stunk, he stunk, and he just sat there. And then he started slashing up, fucking slashing up, and all, just mental health.
0: This is exactly what Neil Samworth said. Mm. And people have said, get someone on who's been in these prisons. It's, you are mm. confirming mm. it's exactly how he described
1: it's more it's more prevalent than people think. I mean, the thing is people dirty protest for many different reasons. Sometimes they just want to have it with the screws and stuff. Obviously, they're standing there start bullet naked. Some people cover themselves in butter, some people cover themselves in their own shit. The idea is is that when the we call them mufti squads, which is just like
0: Goon they go squad.
1: Yeah, 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 Goon Squad, yeah. They go in fucking riot shields, all all figured out. They're there to twist you up. They've got one job and one job and that one job and one aim and that is to fucking twist you up. But you're covered in your own shit and stuff. It's a dirty job. Oh, I've seen prisoners flood their cells, covered in shit. But then they start slashing up and stuff and infection. And like I say, some some prisoners, I remember once there they was a kid and um, I was, that was at Forest Bank now. and I've come and I was walking up. I've just gone, I was a cleaner. I was out my cell. We get out unlocked before all the other lads. We got to serve the surgery. Gone down to get me brekkie, walk back up. And the nurse has come out. She'd been to see the intake from the night before, check the blood pressure, blah, blah, blah. And she come out and she's gipping, like nearly throwing up. Like, uh, and I said, what's up? And she was beautiful, man. Everyone wanted to shag her. And she was um, just said, What's up? And she went, Oh, no. She said, Just, and she was just like, So I went down, looked through his flap. He'd he shit, he defecated in a bowl, shit in a bowl, right? Use that fucking thing as hair gel. Um, and he's just standing there, start bollock naked, chanting and stuff like that. Just the the amount of prisoners in the UK prison system with severe, severe personality disorders, mental health is absolutely astronomical. And putting somebody in prison, like I say, people that should be in prison, I've seen paedophiles with hundreds of images of children and they get suspended sentences so they don't go to prison. Then I've seen people that haven't paid council tax and they're in jail. And I'm thinking, what the fuck's going on Saving here? in
0: America. They love putting people in prison for weed before it all got decriminalised and legalised. That was yeah. the biggest offense category, one of them. Hundreds of thousands a year, but political pedophiles and stuff like that—they just, you know, they get a pass.
1: I think the institution is, is like I say, I, I do believe in rings and stuff like that. And like I say, going back to Dominic, I mean, um, oh, on the on the videos that we posted and stuff, trolls are popping up and they're like, "Trolls!" To all the trolls out there, get yourselves a fucking life, right? It to it from an asshole like fucking fart, right? People, people talking like they know you and stuff, and it's like, oh, I, like because Dominic, Dominic was done for eleven offences.
0: For four guys. So what? What year was Dominic done?
1: It was. It was last year. He was convicted. Last so so
0: la- and when did this all this come come to light in the to the public?
1: It was probably 2017. It and went. When, to trial. when did you
0: quit working for him? Um,
1: in 2016.
0: Okay, so this came to light after, and it was you, historical as well. After you quit working yeah. for him, but it was historical because you yeah. you did you had no idea it was going. No, on. No, no,
1: not at all. No, not at all. This is the thing, though. He was. Oh, I think the, 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 the late, I think it was 16. He was 16 years old. Now you've got to remember Dominic's 21 years older than me, Okay. right? I'm 35. He turns 56 this year uh, on June the 13th. Right. So even though I've got to, I've got to address this, right? I actually don't believe the allegations, right? The reason why Dominic was sexually abused. I was sexually abused. Dominic was horrifically sexually abused. He was raped and stuff. Very open, very honest about it. it's well-documented in documentaries and stuff. Uh, Dominic was raped and stuff like that repeatedly in like a like child's own kid's own boss mm-hmm. or things like that um, I know how strongly he feels about sex offenders he caught up with them um, fucked them up at different times but then the people who abused him he, he fucked yeah, them yeah, up yeah he caught, he caught he caught one of them up in the gay village uh, severely like destroyed him and it fucked him up and Dominic said it fucked me up and made me bisexual or gay or whatever it is um, and like I said I was around him for a lot like day in day out do you know what I mean day in day out and the thing is, these four people that came out of the woodwork knew each other. They were all criminals. They all admitted to being dishonest in court because obviously bad character references were drawn. Um, but if four people come together and say the same thing, you've got to think there's no forensic, there's no DNA. It's just word of mouth. Now, Dominic had been arrested for rape against the woman. The guy's gay, so how does that work? That was dropped. Then there was this Operation U Tree thing, um, which was a very, very widely documented thing. And Dominic was actually under surveillance uh, in an operation. And the chief executive of Greater Manchester Police, a guy by the name of Chief uh, Peter Farhe, uh, was in charge of this. Like I said, he was the top of Greater Manchester Police. And he actually stepped down because it was alleged that Dominic was a suspected pedophile um, and that a young lad, the police that was surveilling Dominic, let this young lad into the apartment that he was living at and then an allegation was made of uh rape um sexual assault rape and stuff now i wasn't present at that but i was working 50 yards from the door i was working 50 yards in the gavelage on the door from where his apartment was um the kid the, the charges were dropped because the truth is that the kid had a long history of making false allegations against police social workers and things like that this was all documented so them charges were dropped um but because the, the amount of, like, police pressure on the chief inspector and things like that, he actually stepped down because people couldn't believe it. And it made national, local headlines that a suspected paedophile, Dominic, and like I say, I don't believe it in any which way. That's my opinion because I was with him. People read stuff and think, oh, well, but it doesn't matter what I think, regardless of what I think, in the eyes of the criminal underworld and the criminal fraternity, he's a convicted sex offender. Let me just ask you this then, hypothetically.
0: Go on. Go on. If you'd have come across him committing that kind yeah. of an act, what would your reaction have I been? Mean, I,
1: of course, would have acted on it. I wouldn't have. In it what would have, way? It, physically. I, like I say, Dominic's a big guy and stuff and I, I, I had respect for him and stuff. I came away from him uh, because when we was in jail together in uh, 2014, 2000, oh, 2014 um, when I was in prison with him, I was on the wing. We was on the same wing. He was on the cell opposite to me on the twos at Uh Cut a long story short, he got a mobile phone when he was in prison. This is all documented. It's out there in like because he got charged with it. He was ringing the people who put us in prison. They had call recording apps. They're asking how things were blown up and how this happened and how that happened. Dominic saying, oh, that was Cody. That was Cody. That was Cody. These calls were recorded, right? The call recordings were then handed to the police. It was transcribed and that became evidence. Dominic had a second charge coming out of Bradford, reference an ice cream van, and there was witness intimidation, blackmail, arson, et cetera. Nothing to do with me, these charges. But um, they said, anyway, fuck that. What What about the Bradford charges? Dominic, believing that these people were coming around to his way of thinking and were like it, like taking it easy on him because he was a former friend, just started to say, well, give them chapter and verse on Bradford. Next thing, guess what happens? They hand the call recordings to the police. This crime, this family, this 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 people, these police informers became crown prosecution witnesses on the Bradford case. So he nearly buried me, buried his fucking buried. Other people were arrested and stuff. I'm not going to go into their names, but they other people were arrested. Um, They ended up on remand in prison. I it could have fucked me up massively, but for some reason the crown prosecution service never tied my charges to his. And the reason I think they didn't do that is because. Because there was no evidence against me, it would have weakened their case against Dominic. So it was better to keep us separate. So this crime figure, the police hated him. They went after him. They went after him. They went after him. But like I say, these four guys came forward. They made an allegation that they, they was abused by Dominic. Um, all criminals, all admit to being dishonest in court. Um, but because they was all singing off the same hymn sheet and stuff, there's no forensic. There's no DNA. There's just their word. It's simply four people's word against one person's word. The one person's word's name's been dragged through the mud, Right for years and if the police threw in enough mud at a wall eventually something's going to stick it stick the thing is here in the UK if you can get someone convicted on sex offenders and there's been many people that have been victims of sex offenders and I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy and my heart goes out to them people I was abused and I went to kill the guy that did it and he'd actually moved from the property and I don't speak to the police and that's why I never took it up with the, with the police um, but there's, you can get compensation Dominic actually got compensation when he was abused
0: all right, so let's just stop this a minute then. There's Go a few on. things you've raised here. Go on. So you're saying you suspect that because he was such a big target, the police procured witnesses and they put a chomo jacket on him, like putting a snitch jacket on him. Um, but let, let me just make it clear for the viewers. No. How do you feel about sex offenders in general? I fucking despise sex offenders. And what, what do you think should happen <sighs> to sex offenders? <sighs>
1: Sex offenders for me, guys, right? And I put it like this. Let's let's go on a paedophile sort of sense, right? And I said this in the other videos. If you go to prison attracted to men, you leave attracted to men. If you go to prison sexually attracted to women, you will leave sexually attracted to women. If you go to prison sexually attracted to children, you will leave sexually attracted to children. Now, if you go to prison as a male that's into women that are, I don't know, 18 plus or whatever here in the UK, 16 plus, it's legal age, but like you can buy porn on the canteen, right? Which is like you can from the sh- prison shop, if you will, online, you order it, it, comes. You can order porn. If you are a sex offender, unless you've got a mobile phone, you can't view things that give you sexual gratification. So indecent images of children and stuff. So the longer they're in prison, the more that their libido and their urges intensifies, they leave prison. And that's why a lot of them go back onto reoffending. Um And like I say, the house here in the UK, for the most part, they're roused on their own wings with their own people. Um, like I say, the vulnerable prison, are called vulnerable prisoners, vulnerable in the sense of because of their crimes, they will be attacked. Um, but it doesn't just resort to child murders, pedophiles, rapists. You actually get, you can get gang members on there, people that owe debts and stuff like that. And they go on to protection to try and get away from what it, because prisoners, no prisoners, no prisoners. I despise uh, sex offenders. Um, and the only way you can rehabilitate a sex offender is a bullet to the back of the head or like a, a foot rope off a six foot drop
0: and that is because something happened to you are you able yeah. to talk about yeah, what happened yeah, to you yeah
1: yeah yeah of course I've come to terms with it now like I say I my past used to used to walk me like a dog like a like a dog on a fucking lead Right. once I came to terms with my life my childhood my what happened to me was I was very um, I was the black sheep of my family and what happened was um, my mum told me to be in one night at eight o'clock Me being me, turn up at five past eight. Uh, She wouldn't let me in the house. I was 12. It was fucking freezing cold. Tried to climb over the back fence. I was scared of the dark at this age. It is what it is. Um, Tried to sleep in the wheelie bin, which had just been emptied like that day. Uh, It was filthy. It was dirty. I couldn't get into the house. I tried. All the windows were closed. Normally I'd jimmy up the back of the house or up like like a monkey climb up. Through the bathroom window at the top, everything was closed because they knew what I was like. So I am thought, I'm not staying out the back of here and stuff, fuck that. So I went on to the main road and there's a bus stop. And it was like I said, it's probably getting on like nine, 10 o'clock now. Um, I'm laying on this bus stop, it's cold metal, I'm freezing. I've, I've not got like a big coat on, it's freezing. Uh, a local guy it was called Mad Martin, right? Uh, not because he, he was obviously emotionally unstable. We used to knock a door, run away and stuff and try and wind him up. Um, never had any interaction with him really apart from trying to get chased by him um, comes down sees me pissed up he was pissed up um, yeah and he said to me he said you can't stay he said you can't sleep on air lad he said it's too cold he said come in mine so um, I went into his um, he was he had loads of cider and stuff uh, cheap cheap cider white lightning and stuff like that it was uh, popular amongst people that drink a lot in local area plied me with a drink. Uh, this was the first time I'd really had an alcoholic drink apart from trying like an alcohol pop or something that my mum would I'd have a swig when she turned her back. Um, plied me with this cider, uh, sexually abused me. Um, yeah, and then, like I say, just raped me. And um, I, I I didn't say anything to anyone. Uh, the first time I actually publicly spoke about it was actually on a documentary with Dominic. Um, it was, Dominic was in prison and what they did, they used the footage, what I was talking about, what happened to me. Um, linked it with what Dominic had been through and stuff like that and uh, many years later when I was an adult and stuff um, I've been to the army surplus store in Manchester uh, on tip street which is still there um, I'm actually friends with the owner um, and I bought a big serrated fucking like crocodile Dundee sort of that's not a knife this is a knife and I, and, I, and I went to the address um, and I had it down the back of my finger there and I was knocking on the door because I obviously remembered where he lived.
0: So you're going to kill him
1: I was going to gut him like a fucking fish. Um, and unfortunately, uh, the door opened and a lady said, he doesn't live here anymore. Mm-hmm. And I asked for a forwarding address and stuff. And she didn't have it. And I'll be honest with you, I would have took whatever came with that. If I had to go f- to prison for murdering a paedophile, then so be it. Do you know what I mean? I was going to, I wanted to gut him like a fish and I wanted to take his penis. Um, mm-hmm. He took so much of me and it, it left the big fucking like I say, speaking so in open terms and stuff like that, there's a lot of people out there that have been through this sort of thing. And like I say, I I think that becomes different stages in your life. I couldn't speak about it previously in previous years because I'd not come to terms with it. If you've got something like, like I say, a lot of people that take drugs or drink, it's normally as a coping mechanism for something that's Mm -hmm. gone on horrific, whether it be an abusive childhood. Now, I had an abusive childhood as well. I mean, I was the black sheep of my family. Uh, I came behind the cat in the pecking order. Um, But, and this is why I sort of gravitated to Dominic was an older sort of father figure, I guess. But the thing is, there's many misconceptions around him. Like people, they see the headlines and they, they see the conviction. But like I say, the four people that have come forward, right, there's, 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 there's a financial incentive. If they all sing off the same hymn sheet and it sticks, if it sticks, great. If it doesn't, what's the worst that happens? No, no harm, no foul. He then gets convicted on, I think it was 11 historical sex offences against four people all like I said have all gone on to become criminals in their own right um, like I say if Dominic's done it Dominic's done it but I personally have been around him and stuff and never seen anything another misconception is that oh he only knocked around with 12 with, with, with year olds that's bullshit if you actually look right you've got me there's Davey Essex Ander uh, you know I mean fucking Tommy all, all older guys and stuff but back then he did knock around with young lads and he thought he was more loyal but as time went on he came away from that the thing is with Dominic he's taking waves and strays
0: and what's your relationship with him now?
1: Uh, the reason I, like I say, I, I don't talk shit about anyone, not because I'm in fear of Dominic. I, I saw a lot of people saying, well, why would he mention Dominic? Why would he address the subject and stuff? And like I say, the reason I came away from Dominic is because eventually on that first sentence, I got out on a bail application. Eventually, after after several months, I get out of prison. Um, I was at court with uh, a relative of his because she'd been tied into it as well. Lovely, lovely, lovely lady. Um, and she potted me whilst I was in prison, et cetera, et cetera. And I'd not physically, people would tell me, I went on a visit at Strangeways once and a lad came off a, a wing and he said, Just to let you know, Noonan stitched you up. Noonan stitched you up. And I was ready for fighting with this kid because I thought, nah, nah, mate, we're, we're loyal, we're, we're tight, you know what I mean? And I didn't believe it. Right. And then when I got out and I was at court, um, his sister was there and. The, the, the barrister said, oh, like we'll send you paperwork out in the post. We've still not sent it out. There's been a fuck up. So I said, well, let us see that. So he said, well, I need the file for when we go in court. I said, just give it a 20 minutes. We had it. Cody, 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 Cody. Arson, this, arson, that, blah, blah, blah. I was in prison and Dominic could blame me for blowing up a caravan on someone's drive. And I'm thinking, hold on, you're just trying to finger me for an arson with intent here. And I'm not saying he grasped me on purpose. I, I genuinely don't think he stitched me on purpose. But whether it's indirectly or directly, I was like, loyal to this guy. The first time I ever ended up in prison was as his Cody. So I was like, nah, fuck this, this ain't right. So I came away from it. I cut ties with him. And that so was. So were you
0: prosecuted for anything he said? No,
1: no, I was charged. See, this is the thing. they never tied us together. And the reason I don't think they tied us together is what it was this family that were they, they was put in. They were slagging us off on on fucking Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that, trying to like embarrass us and bragging in the right that they got us remanded and this and that. Um, and what it was, was when I was eventually given bail, I went to Donald McIntyre. Donald McIntyre is an investigative journalist in the UK. Very, very good journalist. And obviously I had a rapport with with Donald, having done bits of filming with him and stuff like that. Dominic liked to court the media and stuff like that. Celebrity gangster, if you'll if you use that term. And um, I said to him, I need to prove that they're behind these, like this malicious, like like the, the chatting shit online, the, the saying derogatory things and stuff, right? Um, I need to prove it. So he put me in contact with a company called 90digital.com. This guy, computer experts, like the, the guy that did the investigation was a guy, a, Scot- a former Scotland Yards intelligence officer called, well, I won't name it, Andy. Just say he's called Andy. And what he did was he found the source of all these tweets and stuff and the ISP internet service provider address, internet provider addresses and he, and he painted a picture and he actually proved it actually undermined the allegation of the prosecution. Um, yeah. So cut a long story short, we have, we put a, what they call an application to dismiss him. So in other words, there's no case to answer, get it, get it dropped before, before court, before trial. Um, and, the, the judge was like a recorder, which means he only sits six weeks of the year. He's like retired, but he only sits six weeks of the year. And um, my barrister said, he's a recorder. He'll just send it for trial. He didn't. He actually read the application to the Smiths because they put my address online that I used to live at. Um, I'm a former soldier. They They had Irish Republican sympathies. Um, it's quite, if you actually looked at it in the cold light of day, it's actually quite a credible threat. They're trying to get me targeted and stuff, do you know what I mean? So anyway, cut a long story short, uh, this online investigation that Donald McIntyre put me in contact with came. Uh, we was going to submit that to court um, b- before this all happened. Surprise, surprise. The judge was going to order the police to investigate the, the, the family that made the allegations. That would have fucked their case up, reference Dominic. So what did they do? I get a call from my solicitor. Yeah, um, they're saying now that they've 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 reconsidered the evidence and stuff and they're, they're going to drop it because voice recognition, because that's all they had, someone recognising my voice for 20 seconds through a fake Irish accent isn't enough on its own. So the same thing I was remanded on and put in prison for was the same thing that the charges were dropped for. I kept my mouth shut. I went to prison. I stuck to the code of silence. You do not fucking speak to authorities. Kept me gob shut, took what came with it and... Like I say, if they would have tied me and Dominic together and Dominic would have said X, Y, and Z, uh, I, I do believe, I don't believe he's trying to stitch me, but regardless, it is what it is. I came away and I walked away.
0: How much time did you end up serving?
1: I've served just short of two years over three stretches. So I've not done the longest time in prison. People think you've got to serve 10 years, 20 years to get a feel for prison. And the fact is, like I say, I was a cleaner. I've been locked behind me selling in a cat A jail, but it's actually a multi-category prison, which is built to a category A standard. Um, I've been where in a cat B where I've just been locked behind my door and I've also been a cleaner. And I've seen it unfold and stuff. And like I say, you take your experiences in. Um, I've seen the same things that everyone else has seen, whether you see it over a 10-year stretch or a two-year stretch. You 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 go through, like I've been through dispersal as well. Like I said, I got a from from Strangeways to Forest Bank, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, Yeah, that was me. Uh, Everything I'd ever been arrested for, if I'd ever been convicted of them things, I'd I'd probably still be in prison now, but I was lucky. Um, So if a
0: young person came to you now and said, look, I'm heading to the big house. Can you give me some advice about survival? Mm. What would you say?
1: The the, the biggest thing, and the first thing I come out with is, obviously don't borrow anything because if you borrow something, you've got to give double back. You could land on a wing and someone say, oh yeah, here's a shower gel. You're straight away in that person's pocket and you don't want to be in anyone's fucking pocket, especially not in prison. So I would say don't borrow anything. It, the amount of people that go to prison and just the reds just explode because they can't handle it because even big guys, big guys, small guys, anyone that says that prison hasn't affected them or brought them to the knees at some point, right? Is a fucking liar because prison fucks with your head it gets you down it affects your it can affect family ties and stuff like that relationships the amount of relationships i've seen broke down and stuff um so don't spice spice is a is a synthetic cannabis uh which is which
0: is causing i don't know if it's hit the states. So... oh yeah it's flooded t-bones been sending me letters saying arizona guys are doing spice wigging out getting paranoid falling downstairs getting in fights attacking staff yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, the, what that drug is doing in the UK prison system is it's cheaper than other mainstream drugs. It's more potent. It's highly addictive. There was a kid that was opposite me in Forrest Bank, right? Tony. And he was like, he was a heroin addict. Um, And he's come to the pad and that. And No, I walked to his pad and I'm seeing it. I walked in his cell. He's got some tinfoil and he's playing chase the dragon and stuff, taking heroin. And um, I said, what are you doing, man? And then a few weeks later, and I said, he spiced out of his like spiced, we call it a spice head. He was under the influence of spice. I said, Tom, what are you doing, Mom? I did, not whilst he was under the influence. I saw him the next day. I said, what, what's going on? He said, I tried the spice to wean myself off the heroin. I'm now addicted to spice. Mm. But it's, it's, you're getting less drug for your
0: money because.
1: But it's more potent.
0: And it doesn't show up in the P test.
1: No, it does not. Oh, does it? it, it you do you know what that, that is that is that is a misconception. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What it was, in the February, sorry, in the January of 2017, mm-hmm. I was drugs tested. I was a cleaner. So was, like, you can get drugs tested for many different reasons. Mandatory, reasonable suspicion, voluntary drug testing. Um because I was a cleaner, I was in a position of trust. Our, our red badge, our senior officer, as we called him like a like a supervisor, if you will, he just said he was a Spanish guy. Called him Loco Loco man, he was Souza. He was a crazy guy, Spanish guy. He's like, Everyone, go to the go to the MDT, all of you guys. So we all went down to MDT and stuff. People are watering up. There's a, there's a if you water up and you take loads of water that you'll flood it out your system and stuff. Some drugs stay in your system for days, some can stay in for longer. Um, spice, there was everyone was like, No, nice, no, sweet, sweet. Like new psychoactive substances. That's what spice is known as. They don't show up. Well, there was a kid that was a cleaner and he would only take spice, Derek, a friend of mine. I met him on the out and um, he pissed positive and came back as a strain of cannabinoids, like st three, two, one, 321, C4. He'd only smoked spice, right? Uh, he got sacked. Um, he got sacked. He got put on basic. He got sent down to the main. Another kid called uh, Danny Clayton, he was, he pissed positive as well. He was on every drug he could get his fucking hand on. He ended up, the screws stitched him all. The screws didn't like him. Uh, he stole from one of the other lads. One of the cleaners was selling Spice. Give it to a Spicer to look after. Surprise, surprise. The drug fucking vanished because he smoked it. Um, the screws didn't like this particular Danny kid. He got sent to A1. Now, A1 was the wing, but it's where all the young offenders were. Um, and put it like this. He ended up on own protection. Locked behind his door. Get out. He's under a DNU. Out for half an hour in the morning, half an hour in the evening. Um, yeah. I've seen kids. These kids setting cell fires. Kids... What it does to people, them drugs, just stay away from the drugs because if, if you start taking drugs, your body will want more drugs than you can pay for because it's an expensive fucking habit. Not everyone's got a mountain of money. You can actually put your family in a predicament then as well where you've got dealers ringing your mum and dad off fucking private numbers. You better put that money in. I'll stab him now. I'll set him on fire. I'll kill him. Uh, and, and like I say, but if you if you start to take one hit of the drug, it'll snowball. And then what they're doing is obviously you used to, obviously when you were selling and stuff like that, people take, your body builds up a tolerance to the drug and you've got to take more to try and chase that high. And that's where you're at risk of overdosing as well. Uh, The amount of prisoners that left prison, um, 325 prisoners in the UK left prison last year in a body bag. Uh, 92 of them were self-inflicted. They also declassify a lot of deaths as well. So that it, they don't put it into a bracket. like I think new psychoactive substances, so drugs like Spice, for example, um, they, they've been attributed to over 90 deaths in the past couple of years um, alone. I've got videos on my channel, guys, of, of prisoners under the influence of Spice. Um, and what it does to people is just stay away from drugs. If you're going into prison, firstly, don't go to prison. Uh, but for those that are going to end up in prison, um, you can watch all the films and documentaries you want until you land on that wing no amount of TV or films or Shawshank Redemption or any sort of that shit, even though Shawshank was obviously in America, is not going to prepare you for what prison is. Uh, But listening to, obviously, Sean's podcast and Sean's guests and stuff, um, you'll see that, yeah.
0: So you've got videos on your channel of people under the influence of Spice, prisoners. Yeah, prisoners. Acting acting crazy.
1: Yeah, throwing up. uh, There was a kid and he's throwing up pink vial And one of the prisoners, actually, like a lot of prisoners just stand there and they'll video it and stuff and put it on social media. I I never really understand prisoners that film criminal acts because obviously it's illegal to have drugs and take drugs in prison. And it's obviously illegal to have a mobile phone in prison. And then the filming stuff, they show the face and then they put it on fucking Instagram with a hashtag HMP, which is Her Majesty's Prison or Jail Life or Prison Life. And then they're wondering why people are getting spun and fucking drugs tested and stuff like that. But yeah, uh, the, the amount of videos I've got on there, there's quite a lot of prison violence, um, Spice. There's one where it's just like, this is why you don't
0: take Spice. Perhaps we'll um, see if we can add one of those to this to the Yeah, podcast. do you know what? I've said yeah, 40 yeah. million percent one. Um, so, all right, on prison survival then, so far you've said don't get into debt, yeah. don't get on the drugs, especially Spice. Yeah. What other advice are you going to give to a young person to survive Manchester prison?
1: In strange ways. Yeah. Like I say, you've got to... People often say, like people contact you and they say, right, there's a chance that I could like, because obviously if you're, if you're 18 to 21, you won't end up in strange ways because you're offender. You, you will not go to strange ways. But um, if someone drops it on your toes as well, you've got to fight. Like you can't, people say, yeah, but I'm not a fighter. Well, it's like, well, the worst that's going to happen if you do fight, you're going to get your ass kicked. But if you don't fight, you're going to get your ass kicked anyway. So is it like
0: America? Like in America, if someone calls you a punk or a bitch, you have to fight them on the spot, otherwise, otherwise, your whole race attacks you. It,
1: it's if you if you it, it's like I say we're alpha and we're males and stuff. And if you are the weaker members of that prison population or of that wing, you're going to become you're going to become a bitch. And like I say, you, you, people will bully you. They'll take stuff off you. They'll walk in your cell and open it and say, If you can't respect yourself, how are they going to respect you? Do you know what I mean, and respect is earned in prison. It's not given.
0: So someone coming in, yeah, how could they? Not project weakness.
1: I think it's hard to say to someone unless unless you're like you've got it about you. You can't unless you're front, like fake it before fake it till you make it, sort of thing. Yeah. But if you're bouncing around the wing and you think you're cocking a walk and stuff, that can obviously draw attention. I mean, I, I'm a big lad now. Size doesn't count for fuck calling in prison, as you know. Um because you I, I've seen a kid <laughs> I've seen a kid he put you to, at Forest Bike, you get flasked, right? Because they don't have a thing in your cell. He put his hand, somehow got his fucking hand into the end of a fucking flask, metal flask, ran down a wing and fucking ran down and just pretty much smashed this guy upside the head. And he was a bigger guy. And I'm looking, thinking he's seen him. They've obviously got beef, right? But size can actually make you a target as well. But if you land in a prison, right, don't take drugs, fucking don't steal anything. Fuck me. Do not steal. Do not steal. Do not fucking grass. Do not grass. Do not. There's a thing called sweet grassing. Say snitching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweet, yeah, sweet, sweet, sweet snitching. That sweet snitching. People think, what's that? Say you're on the landing and you've got a problem with that lad, right? But your ass is going a bit, and you say, "Listen, yeah, I'll fight you," and you do it so the screws hear you, oh. so they intercept it and shit, yeah. So it's like, what, what, what was that? You know what I mean? Sweet, yeah. We call it sweet grassing, sweet snitching. But yeah, uh, don't grass. Don't fucking steal.
0: Uh, stay away from drugs at all fucking costs. Um, what about interacting with the guards? What level of that is allowed? Because if you start chatting to the guards where I was housed, that's yeah. they're going to look at you as a snitch. Then
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the relationship with the screws should surely should be speak to them when you need to speak to them. Or oh, boss, can can I like I need to get a razor out of the fucking like store cupboard or something like that? Don't be over friendly with them. But sometimes if it's Obviously, different prison officers got different mentalities. Now, there's two types of officers in the UK. You've got HMP or Her Majesty's Prison Service, public sector prison guards, normally um, quite unapproachable, professional, not all of them. You do get your exceptions, but they swap the personality for a set of keys and some fucking epaulets, right, for the most part. That's in my experience. Mr. Leg, so Mr. Leg at Strangeways was spot on though. And Miss Coombs. Uh, at Forest Bank, private prison. That's a private prison. And the guards are from the estates where you fucking lived. Um and they're more approachable for the most part. You do get your jobs worth cunts, like that are all about the job. They take the job too serious. Um but if you're over friendly with a with a prison officer, there could be two reasons for that. One, you're grassing, or two, because you're actually trying to get them to bring some contraband in drugs, mobile phones, sim cards, tobacco. Um but the thing is, prisoners don't see the interaction. They they could be watching, thinking he spends a lot. Prisoners watch everything. The the very very paranoid as well. Prison puts we're quite paranoid people anyway because we're criminals. Not all everyone's guilty, but we're quite paranoid criminally wise, and we're quite thinking. So if you see someone that's being over friendly, if if he's my padmate and he's down there, I'm thinking what's he saying? Is he trying to shit me? Like when I was in for when I was in strange ways on that first sentence. Obviously, it, when you're on remand, you are told, do not discuss your case with fucking anybody. And the reason is because I know it sounds paranoid and crazy, but they plant people to actually extort information because you let your guard down. If it was a prison officer, you say, yeah, fuck off. Or a copper. But when it's a fucking a padmate, you think, oh, well, we're mates. He's lent off me. I've lent off him. We're mates. And you can let your guard down. And then next minute you get fucking shot. So... I wouldn't discuss it with him. And I think that Connell, as much as I got on with him, I genuinely think it was planted. Because he said to me, they never keep, I'm, normal single, I'm normally a single cell prisoner. Single cell means high risk. And then they're padding me up with a kid and I'm thinking, what the fuck's going on? So, And he kept asking me about my case. So I'm more paranoid then. Even when I was with Dominic, right? And people can troll me all they want with this. Me and Dominic wouldn't talk about our charges in his cell or my cell. He was, he was a, like a high risk prisoner. He was very well known. So we go into the showers I mean, we weren't wanking each other off as fucking like trolls will say and stuff like that. But like, yeah, we used to, because obviously, if the, if let's say there's a bug in the shower, any condensation and stuff's going to get into that bug and it won't work. So yeah, we used to talk in the shower. With us, um, but yeah, so don't take drugs, don't snitch, don't grasp, don't get too over friendly with the officers because, like I say, prisoners will get paranoid and think you're fucking up to something. Um, stay away from drugs at all costs because if you start taking a bit of weed on sick, then it snowballs. They give you more drug, they more drug, and then next minute this. I don't know why, but stupid amounts of prisoners that have never touched Spice before end up taking it and it hooks them. It's so fucking fast. And the decline, you'll lose your relationship. You, you can fuck up your family connections. I've seen families walk away from prisoners. I've seen prisoners, heads fall off, um, be, like heads fucked because their family have said, you're on the drugs. It's debt. It's trouble to me, Door. I'm not having this. And they've walked away. The relationships have broke down all because of taking have oh, taken a few drags on a spliff of Spice. And it hooks them. Um, mental health's a huge problem. I, I try. I actually do a video on my channel telling people how to get a single cell in prison. Act a bit crazy and stuff. Not too crazy. You don't want to get fucking section, but playing the role. Because I didn't want to share my space after that. I, I played the role after that so i get my own single cell so I could watch what I wanted on There's TV. There's nothing
0: co- like a single cell, is this the no, best? No,
1: fuck, man. I, I could watch what I wanted to watch. I, I could do what I wanted. But the thing is, like... The violence and stuff in prison is obviously a big, big thing, as you cover and stuff on your channel. And like you say, it's just trouble can flare for the most. So tricky. when you
0: when you say about getting a single side acting crazy, then did yeah. you do that? Did you on my to... second and third year? What well, I did? How, how crazy did you act? Right when I got to, I was wound up. I wanted to kill my solicitor
1: anyway because my solicitor was like. Uh, he's like, look, you're not going to prison. I had I had tea with a judge two weeks ago. She was at my house. And I'm thinking, I, that's great for you. But I, I always say to him, I I my barrister is a very good barrister um, until he fucks up and end up in prison, and then I'm fucking hate him. But I say, Bob, I'm not. You're not paid for your opinions, mate. I when it comes to court situations and stuff, I always prepare for the worst situation. Um, and then if the worst happens, I am prepared. I'm I'm not going into court thinking I've got I've got no bag because I'm walking home. I'm going home. I literally pack everything. I prepare everything and stuff. But when I landed at the jail, I was very wound up. And then um, this was for threatening my sister's ex-boyfriend. This he beat her up. um, Was a bully behind doors, grew beer muscles and all that, thinking he was Popeye. Um, And then beat my sister up, harassed her for two weeks and then break the windows. My mum told her not to tell me because of what I would have done to him, just like anyone would have done. That's not a big hard man. Anyone would protect the family. My sister is like an alcoholic bipolar. I mean, She, she, she picks dickheads. Um. anyway fucking end up at end up at fucking court said oh you said it's all right. pre-sentence report oh we can work with him anger management blah 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 supervision order community service judge didn't just yeah fuck off send him to prison stupid but it happened and then when I've landed at the jail and stuff and I'm being uh, on intake and stuff or being processed as we call it in the UK um I'm sat there with a the nurse and stuff, right? And i am sat I'm pacing up and down. I'm like, as soon as you put me in that cell, I'm gonna fucking shank whoever it is up. I'm gonna watch you watch. Look at size of me, I'm gonna go fucking mad. And, and i am sat there and I'm saying, yeah, my mental health, I'm sat in the corner, like, don't speak to me. Like, and there's no one even speaking to me. I just <laughs> I, Do you know what though? It the the reason I did it was because like I said, I didn't want to get put in a cell with a fucking a grot or a tramp. Do you know what I mean? If you live the people there's a lot of kids, kids in prison that live dirty. Like there's a lot of kids that are very, very, very clean. But I was just like, you know what? I want my own cell. If you get a high risk, it's classed as high risk. Like you could be racially high. So if you like, there was a kid that I was a cleaner, actually on my stretch and stuff. And he was, um, he was racially high. Let's put it like this. When he had a shower, he had two Nazi German stormtroopers on his back. Proper skin edge. You know what I mean, out and out skin edge. You know what I mean, hated everyone and everyone. He, he even they us and we was white. So I don't know what his issue was. <laughs> uh, but he got done on terrorism charges actually recently. And he was in a Ir uh, Irish Republicanism got caught with like uh, manuals for terrorism and stuff and component parts of could be used in the like making of things but yeah I acted crazy. Um I said I just acted crazy. I was just like I was just literally pacing up and down and stuff and I'm like I'm grabbing me and I was saying fucking don't don't speak to me. yeah just do uh, not just kick off. Just fucking stab them all. And then they put me forward to the doctor and then when they put me on the wing and I said they get high yeah, risk and shit, yeah I thought I'll have that. So they got me up onto the wing. I risk. I said, and then he tried to put me in my pad. And I said, I'm not going, not locking up until I've got a fucking TV. I said, I'm not on basic. I said, give me a TV. And I said, lock up. And But like I say, prison is, unless you've been in prison and stuff, like people thinking like not losing your liberty, it's like they can't relate to it. If they've never lost your liberty, people can't relate to it. Prisoners' families can, because if you support somebody in prison, you're actually strapped in front seat and you're on that roller coaster that is off the scale and stuff. And like I say, the thing is though, the violence, the fucking, the depression. I personally believe that mental health—if you haven't already got mental, health, like mental health issues—and a lot of prisons have diagnosed or undiagnosed—it it actually starts because we're social people, social creatures, and being locked up for sustained amounts of time, um, yeah. And like I say, I've, I've on my last stretch there, the kid Darren Rawlinson, God bless his soul, um, he, he died of a drug overdose on a drug-free wing which tells you everything you need to know about the UK prison system. There's more drugs on a drug-free wing and it's like shooting fish in a barrel if you're a dealer. If you go onto the thing and say, oh yeah, I was an alcoholic and stuff, get onto that detox wing. You can, And you've got a load of fucking, in the urinal cavity or the prison pocket. I don't know if that's prison wallet, prison pocket.
0: ring. we call it in Arizona. What's, keister.
1: Keister. Keister, keister ring. I'll just, um, keister.
0: keistering is like the verb. Yeah. To, to keister. It's to store it in your ass. All
1: oh, right, Or oh, prison pocket, yeah. prison wallet. UK, US translation there. But yeah. Um, and he died of a drug overdose on a drug-free wing. There was another kid, Jordan Hyam, a young lad, 20-year-old, at Forest Bank, took Spice for the first time, in on a short sentence. Guy died, was brought back to life. His mum and dad put a thing in a local paper. Kids got tubes hanging out of him left, right and centre. The kid's mentally handicapped now. Mm-hmm. Tried the drug, man. This is the thing. What prison... Prisoners, the amount of prisoners leaving prison in body bags, and like I say, whether it be the amount, just what's going on in the UK prison system is fucked. And like I say, people go there to be rehabilitated. Uh, the fact is they, they go there broken and they leave in pieces.
0: Were there any deadly fights while you were in there or any fights that a lot of damage was caused?
1: I've seen, like, there was two of the cleaners. They, One of the cleaners, he'd lost his mum and dad, and the number one who was in charge of the cleaners, he's like a long-serving prisoner and stuff, worked his way to the top of the cleaning and he was in charge of the cleaners. He was a prisoner. Uh, he made a comment to this lad. He said, you got fuck all on the out. And because uh, this guy had lost his mom and his dad from a young age. He'd been in and out of prison. And he sat there and they sat right next to each other. And he said, I feel like fucking, he said, I want to fucking kill you. Goes to pick his fork up. Just fucking bam, just literally below the eye there. And then he starts fucking, he starts going about his body there, stabbing him up and stuff, scrapping. Um, I've seen napalm or hot water and sugar. Hot water seen, and sugar. Yeah, I've seen so they, so they mix
0: that up and yeah, throw it in your face.
1: Like it congeals to some sort of glucose solution and you throw it in somebody's face, it sticks and it just drags the skin. I've seen butter as well, but it's quite a popular one. Butter, butter. butter Weaponizing into it. Yeah. butter. The thing is, though, prisoners, as you know, prisoners are ingenious at making weapons and stuff. Oh, and Like man. I say, I've seen, there's a kid that, I don't understand, this was in strange ways, and they've had a fight and he's gone to throw him off the landing, but there's netting. I'm thinking, you obviously haven't thought this fucking through. But yeah, like I said, I've seen attacks on officers swilled or potted, uh, which is where a, a, like a, a prisoner normally paid to do it. Um, and he'll piss and he'll he'll piss and shit. Mm. He'll let it ferment. And then he'll like a plastic bottle or something, squeeze it over an officer or in a bowl or something. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I've not, the violence I've seen has been like, it's gone off, but not to the extent of probably like what you've experienced yourself in the States.
0: It seems to be more extreme in Arizona and especially in the Remand jail run by Sheriff Joe. Yeah. Did anyone try to test you? I, the only time I had an
1: issue was there was one kid that I was being paranoid for some reason. And I, I just said, What are you fucking laughing at? That? I just lost it. And uh, I would have smashed the kid up. Right? I, was, I was just, I don't know why. My head was just telling me paranoid. I thought he was laughing at me. So I perceived it to be that way. And uh, I dropped it on his toes and stuff. And he didn't want to know. And then I walked down the landing. He's straight at the hot water tank. And when he's fucking, he's filling bottles fucking up full of hot water. So I was like, right, I'll just wait for that water to cool down. And then I'll fuck him up. But he was getting out the next day anyway. Um, so when I got unlocked in the morning, I'm, sat, I'm literally sat outside his cell. I popped his flap and I was looking at his flap. I said, as soon as you get out of this fucking bro, I said, I'm going to fuck you up. He's like, bro, bro, listen, bro. But no, the only other time I got involved in incidents was actually stopping bullying. Because the kid that was on, like I said, on the cleaners and stuff, Whippy, the kid with the like um, the, the Nazi stormtroopers on his back, he had very bad mental health issues and stuff. And what he had a habit of doing, he'd pick on the more vulnerable prisoners amongst the wing, taking his watch off, trying to hand his watch to everyone. And I just didn't like it. Didn't as a bully victim from a young age, it didn't sit well with me. So there was one point where, oh, there was a fit nurse on a wing, right, and he kicked me. Kicks where you pull someone's underpants and pants down mm. while they're on the landing. Now, it's embarrassing and it's disrespectful. And like I say, if that was on the street, I probably would have laughed. But I was in jail. And that can be, someone could see that. If you don't act on that, people can see that and think, you're a fucking bitch. I mean, you're a punk, yeah? So I've just, I've fucking pulled it up and I've gone to grab Whippy and bang him into the cell. I said, get in a fucking cell now. And he, he's pulled back there. And people started to gather around the door. I said, get in here now, we can have it. And his ass fell out. And I was I'm not a bully though. I didn't want to get anything from fighting with him, but I wanted to show people on a wing. I ain't a bitch. Yeah. Like I was quite I'm quite a laid-back, docile kid. I'm a big lad, but like I say, that doesn't count for fuck all in jail. Nothing at all. Just because you're big, people don't look and think, God, he's intimidating. People look and think, if I can scalp him, like wig him or scalp him, um, like you can get like your brownie points or you can earn something. And if someone doesn't like you, someone might take a dislike to you for no reason. And someone can pay him a load of spice and stuff. And that kid the wig you. you know what I mean? Even, even like um, other stories and stuff. The violence that I've seen and witnessed has been a drop in the ocean compared to what I've heard on your thingy. But like I say, if I was on another wing in a jail, it might have been a bit more thingy. But the violence is commonplace. It's a daily occurrence. People fighting over many different reasons, drug debts and things like that. And like I say, what you'd think, or oh, if that was on the street, they'd get a slap. People are getting fucking shanked up. And then you've got the gang violence as well, where you've got like they try to keep your gang affiliated kids away from each other. But there's that many gang affiliated kids in the system that it's hard, you know. And if you fight with one of them, you've got to what they call it on site, which means you've got to attack them on site. And uh, like I said, just a few weeks ago, they they had the prisoner that was murdered down at a category C facility, um, Risley. Risley What, What happened to him? Uh, uh, what happened with him, whose name is Stephen O'Donnell, uh, God bless his soul, may rest in peace, he was uh, from a traveller, His a traveller family from Stockport, um, was in prison, it was a category C prison, so prisons are categorised in the UK, Cat A, Cat B, Cat C, Cat D, so Cat A is your high security, Cat B is a medium, Cat C is a lower, Cat D is your open, um, he was in a Cat C prison, um, and I've spoken to his cousin and stuff like that and I was told that it was over, how crazy is this, Him, this kid that ended up killing him, um, was was over the mobile phone. Mm-hmm. So what's happened, he's got into the cell, he's tried to take the phone, they knew he had a mobile phone like in his keister ring uh, keister or prison pocket, prison wallet. Mm-hmm. They've gone in uh, to try and get it because someone wanted someone was offering him spice to go and get the phone mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it, a fight happened, um, the next day it spilled over and the kids produced a shank and he's uh, fucking shanked him up now I actually broke that story because I was being fed information from inside the prison by a prisoner's girlfriend, and by all the and like I say, I apparently from what I was being told was that the the incident didn't happen in, in the UK or I'm assuming it's the same in the states. You try to do it if you can behind your door, like in your cell, yeah. off camera, yeah. no evidence. You know what I mean? And then prisoners say, "Oh, I slipped or I tripped and I slipped and I fell." Um, this happened on the landing on the wing. And in front of all the cameras, in front of officers, in front of other cons, um, and so bad was the shank thing that it it was left in his chest cavity. Um, And like I say, he left kids behind and everything and a family and stuff. And his brother, uh, God bless him, may he rest in peace, he tragically hung it. He cut his ear off when he was in Forest Bank prison. This was many years ago. Um, And then tragically hung himself in strange ways. The mother buried her son and he died on d Wing he took his own life at D-Wing at Strangeways. His brother was murdered on D-Wing at HMP Risley. And like I say, last year, there was four homicides uh, in prison in the UK. Uh, one was in Wandsworth. Get, that was gang affiliated. That. He got about 10 guys, just started shanking him up and stuff. Um, so it does go on, but I, I mean, well, I don't know what the murder ratio is in the U- US prisons like.
0: So Nat Geo, the documentary that they did about me, yeah. they researched in the Remand Jail alone, that there was, um, was it like I don't know, 60 or 80 or something in that range? Um, deaths over five years, just in that one jail.
1: In that one jail? Yeah. That's obviously Run that. Run by that, Sheriff
0: that's, Joe Arpaio.
1: That swamps the UK murder ratio in prisons. It's violent. We're seeing record levels of violence in the UK, but violence can be like a slap. You could slap somebody and that's caused as a violent incident. But Yeah. Then, a couple of hundred of them are deemed as serious and stuff. Like I say, I've spoken to officers that have been knocked out. There was an officer called, um, I can't remember his name now, Blink, no, not Blinky, Whitey or something. And what he did, he got knocked out on the stairs, uh, ended up swallowing his tongue, nearly died and stuff. And it's a dangerous job that they do. Why did he get knocked out? He just, ugh, con t- took a dislike to him, hit it, waited, hit him at the from the top of the stairs. He fucking fallen. Because obviously your head's quite heavy. And when you, and he cracked all his head and all that and he fucking he was in a bad way he nearly died the kid I mean swallowed, nearly swallowed his tongue nearly, I mean he was in a bad way but the officers the job they do like I said when I first went to prison it was my attitude as a con was it's us versus them as in prisoners versus prison officers the more on that last stretch and stuff when they let me out of my cell as a cleaner and I'm out 14 hours of the day mm-hmm. you you actually get I know it sounds strange, and people that are hard and cons will slag me for this but I actually got a healthy respect for the job that they do not all of them because there's some fucking scumbags I've seen there was one, there was a big officer I won't name him because he's actually alright but um, he, he knocked a fucking he knocked a Welsh prisoner out uh, with his head headbutted him knocked him sparkle he, he the kid started smashing up his pad um, and then I've actually I was a cleaner I've gone down and he's like, um, was called Williams or some Welsh kid. And he's he's ripping all his paperwork up and all his letters and stuff. And I'm thinking, what are you doing, man? He said, oh, mate, I fucking wash this and that. Right? And he, he was ripping all his stuff up for ages. And then he's banging his cell up. He stretched that all naked, ripping his thing up. And then he sets his fucking pad on fire right in front of me. And the thing is, check this, right, for a fuck up. There was a thing called an instamus machine. Now in the cell door, there's called an inundation hatch. It had not been lubricated. So it had seized, mm-hmm. right? they don't open when you set a cell fire they don't run in and open your door mm. obviously because fire spreads right so the inundation hatch then he goes to plug the Instamix machine in the fucking third prong the top prong on the fucking plug snapped right and then they had to get a fire hose and resort to spraying water through about an half an inch gap through the bottom of the thing the bed suspended the fire's on the bed there's black smoke the kids open the window the kid passed out and everything and I I run down to the office the fire alarm didn't trigger neither for the, for the screws Right? So I ran down, I said, Jacko, Jacko was the senior officer. I said, Jacko, there's a fucking, Williams, he said, he's fired on fire. And he's gone, he has you he's joking. I said, fucking, I'm not joking. So he ran up and stuff like that. And like I say, just one failure after another, spraying fucking water under a door when the, when the fucking fire's on the bed suspended. The kid was pulled out unconscious. Kid could have died though.
0: Yeah, the prison guard we had done, he... um Talked about spraying down cells, people setting fire to themselves, yeah. and reading his book, like you said, where when I was housed, us versus them mentality. Yeah, but then reading his book, I, I really kind of saw it through the, the, the eyes of the guard, the, the the risk of the occupation. Yeah, and I really felt for him because, you know, like if a guard did something bad to a prisoner that was uncalled for, he would be trying to like be honest, but then the guards would say to him, you're like, you're fucking a traitor now, it's us versus them. So they've got the us versus them against us as well. They've got the same mentality, yeah, do you know what? This guy was a good guy
1: though. Yeah, this is the thing, from private prisons to public sector prisons, the public sector prisons, I do believe that they have got that hardcore, like institutional racism, violence, and they do want to fuck prisoners up, and it's been documented, there's prisoners, there's two officers at uh, Young Offenders Institute, Weatherby, that were jailed after dragging a 17-year-old off camera for allegedly assaulting one of their colleagues, and they fucked him up bad. But the other officers actually put statements in against them, two officers mm-hmm. because they believed it. it was a 17-year-old kid, man. And there was the guy. One of the guys was a big steroid, dead yeah, and he fucked the kid up. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, yeah, it's the, the prison officers, and it's not happened yet, but prisoners are leaving prison with PTSD, right? prison officers through their jobs because like I say I'm I'm not a screw boy by the way a screw boy is like a prison officer boy I don't want people thinking that I'm saying to you there was uh, there were some officers strange ways I've got two officers that I got on with the rest of them were fuckers at Forest Bank yeah, these are people off the estates that you might have gone to school with right? and they're more approachable and in any other walk of life they would have been a friend and like I said I, it was strictly professional at work though I was a cleaner they tell me should do something I would fucking do it away from that because you're a cleaner and you're out yourself. You've got a kid over here that wants to pass a shitload of spice to him over there. Cleaner, cleaner, listen. Pass this to him. So then you might you might charge a fee. If you're all right with a kid, you might not. You'll be like, yeah, sweet. I used to get caught a lot, because the fucking there was a screw called Youngie, and he was like a fucking bat watching. Every time he turned around. <laughs> he's standing there. I'll sack you, and I'm thinking, for fuck's sake. So what I used to do is to get um, a prison letter, like you get a free prison letter a week called the Noel. I put an A4 paper with an envelope and I just Put the, I'd slide that through the side of the door, put your drugs in there. Say, boss, I'm just passing him an OL, yeah, and I slide it under the door or whatever. But yeah, um, prison stayed with me. I left prison with forty six pounds and my experiences because it stayed with me. And I met some of the best kids in my life in prison. I met some fucking idiots. But
0: um, what the, was the day of your prison release like?
1: Oh, fucking hell! Like the first when I when I was strange ways. Strange ways was shipped to Forest Bank. I got out of Forest Bank, then I went back two other times. But that was like on a bailout. That was in the afternoon. That was sort of very quick. Uh, but on the last one, that was... Because um, the thing is, like, I, I knew that I'm getting out the next day. So, like, I, I'm I'm excited. You're giddy. And th- you might relate to the next bit I'm going to say, right? So I didn't really sleep very well that night. I was I was excited. I was like... Gate fever. Yeah, yeah. Gate fever. That's a good way of putting it, yeah. I wanted to have sex. I mean, I, I I was like the pawn baron on the wings. I mean, I'm a bit of a wanker anyway, but I was definitely a wanker when I was in prison. I had the porn and the coffee. That was my role. I had the best coffee and the porn mags. right? So when I left, so what I did, I, I had loads of food under my bed and stuff and loads of pawn mags and the DVD player. Like we had a TV with a DVD player built in. So I had to pass that on to somebody else because I'd got my usage out of it. Um, and yeah, so I put all my stuff on the bed and like, because you're going home, you leave what's left for your friends and my friends and my family, my prison family, were the people that I'd been working with. We'd argued, we'd fucking, we'd showered together, we'd fucking, we'd gambled together. Do you know what I mean? All this stuff. So I was like, I was buzzing. I was like, yes. And I went down in the morning. I actually got my cereal for some strange reason. And then like one of the lads that I was very close with, he was gutted. He was actually devastated. I was going home. Uh, give it. Sounds weird because we're men and we shouldn't do this, but I give him a big hug and stuff. He's got a tear in his eye, right? And that made me have a tear in my eye. And I'm not an emotional person, but these people were so, we've gone on this roller coaster together. And like I said, we've bickered, we've bitched, we've fucking fought, we've argued, we've won money, we've lost money. We've, we, we, we do you know what I mean? We're, we're just mad. Like we've, And then we're on the wing and stuff. and We're all hugging each other and stuff. And I'm like, I'm buzzing that I'm going on. Buzzing's a Manchester word for excited. I'm, I'm excited I'm going home. But I also felt guilt because it's my time to go home. And I'm leaving these boys behind. And one of, like some some of them are fathers and stuff. Like uh, Esky Boy, he was my he, he was my like boy on a wing and stuff. Like right? we was dead close. He was like he had kids and stuff. And he was he he was he he was he was, he was I was like his counselor and stuff. Like I was I, I we'd sit there and just paddy crying his aunt, I was out like, missing the kids and stuff. And some of them probably like get the fuck off the wing, you dickhead. But uh, we're hugging each other. We're saying goodbye. I, I've shared my stuff out amongst the lads. My food stuffs. Um, like toiletries and stuff. I've said, look, you can't take it all. Next door, Ned, he wanted to take it all. I said, you can't take it all, bro. So I broke it down. I said, like, you take that, you take that, you take that. So yeah, and then um, I packed my stuff up. Uh, I've gone to see Souza. Souza's the red badge. He's the crazy Spanish guy. He works on security now. He, he was a, like a drug sniffer dog. He just obsessed with drugs all the time. So he moved on to security. Uh, I've gone downstairs with my bag. I said to Soza, like uh, on the wing, said, Soza, can you cut me loose, man? I've, I've grafted my bollocks off for you. No problem, so you can go, no problem. So then I said to the screw, Wilkie, I said, can Esky Boy bring me down to the main? So Esky Boy's carrying me back, not that I needed it to be carried. Uh, and that was it. We've gone down to the, made our way down to reception because in a cat B, you don't have to be escorted. You can, you get movement slips. Gone down to, the, to reception, give him a big hug and stuff. Again, tears in his eyes and stuff like that. Proper emotional, weird, weird. Do you know what I mean, and then um, gone into reception. Uh, they put me into a holding cell. Other prisoners off other wings are coming out. It was a Friday. So there's more releases on a Friday. They do it in groups of 10. Uh, I wanted to be in that first group of 10. I wanted to be out the door first. You know what I mean? I'd crafted my bollocks off work. So i wanted to get out. So um, that was it. And then um, money that I'd save whilst I was putting my wages into like a little savings account by the like, thing. So I get it out on my release. Gone up, get me things back from my prop and stuff like that. Um, you get your license conditions, obviously. Um, went back into the cell. Then... We all went out. Once everyone had done that, they took us down to the next bit. And then um, it was like, I can't remember. Was, oh, yeah, we just sat in there and stuff waiting. And they was just waiting. And then we had to do like another final like fingerprint, identific- like be identified, yes, that is you that's on your prison ID card. Um, it's even secure on the way out just to make sure that they're not fucking releasing the wrong person. And as mad as it sounds, that does happen from time to time. And then they said, right, lads, um, they just got, got our bags and we, the first time I ever left Forest Bank was via the gate. But this time we went through visits and we actually was released from visits at Forest Bank. And I've walked out, my mum's there. Um, I give her a big hug and stuff. And she said, what do you have to do? I said, I need to go to probation. So we headed to probation. Probation weren't ready for me. I had to go and see my probation worker. She said, go and get some breakfast if you want and come back. Went and got some brekkie, went back. Got home, wanted to get a shower and get that sort of, I wanted to use my own washing powder and get that it's like weird thing about prison people do different things when they leave jail you, you, obviously you've been through that yourself what did you do like when you left did you have like a set routine? well mine was weird
0: because I got released from the prison to federal deportation then yeah. so they had to come and get me from the prison where I was at for years Yeah. then I'm in federal deportation for several weeks yeah. they can't tell you when they're going to release you for security purposes Yeah. but then the day of your release they say roll up and you get on this bus then to the airport then I was on Connor for several days, uh, a couple of days, dropping off and picking up Mexicans mostly because they're all getting deported out there. This is across Arizona and California. Finally, they put me in a holding cell mm. in California jail. I'm there for ages, and with this Argentinian guy. We go to the um to the airport and then the the guard says, You've you you we've it's all run late. You're not going to make your flights now. Um, it's got to be rescheduled. And I'm just thinking, all right, we'll just be on the next flight. And then the Argentinian guy starts freaking out, saying, I'm rescheduled. He turns to me, he's like, do you know what rescheduled means? I'm like, no. He's like, you got to, it like takes weeks now to go through all the process again to get a new fucking flight. So we went all the way back to the jail. I'm thinking, I'm rescheduled now. Fucked. Mm. The Argentinian cracks the fuck up, starts screaming at, Oh, I need a cigarette. I need a cigarette. They put him in like a box, and he's, just, he's 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 literally sobbing. And then the guard goes to me. There's been a mistake on yours. You don't need to be rescheduled. We're going back to the airport. Just made the just made the fucking plane, and um, they took the cuffs on me, and I got on, and I'm smelling the women's perfume and stuff. And um, it was a long ass flight, like ten hours or something. So where did you fly from to L.A. from L.A. Yeah, LAX. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To where Gatwick? To Heathrow Gatwick. There's actually videos of me me meeting my parents and my sister at the airport on my YouTube channel. I'm all stubbled out from all the transportation for days. I look completely shell shocked and bug eyed. Like you said, giving your mum a hug was just like the best thing in the world. How long was that readjustment period for you from leaving jail, from like,
1: to, to actually get back into like, I'm not in jail no more, the routine and stuff like that? I
0: spent a year at my parents' house before I felt clear headed enough to come down south and live with Hot Wheels, who you met earlier. Yeah, gentlemen,
1: absolutely gentlemen. (laughs) Gentlemen, really, really gentlemen.
0: And PJ Hot Wheels is one of the characters in my book, Party Time. Used to supply ecstasy to me out of LA, Manchester lad. Um, Got deported for similar stuff as me. And um, anyway, so it still took me, I would say, a few years. I was having a lot of nightmares, a lot of PTSD, people who'd like were my enemies. I was having nightmares about them for quite a while. Um, my 10 year anniversary of my release was last December. And fucking um, okay, hell, looking back now, actually, the December before was it? I'm um, looking back now, I look at everything I, I went through and it's, it's almost surreal, like a dream, because it's been so, such a, a long time. And I, I just can't understand how I'm still alive. I'm um, thinking of some of the situations I was in. Yeah.
1: What was the so flicking the switch back to you? What advice would you give to someone that might find themselves going to like a county or a federal jail or in the states? Like, how would you, yeah. to, to, to a young up and comer, just to, to try and flick it back to your audience uh, on, on the state side of things?
0: I think you've covered all the bases of PSA, prison survival advice, yeah. on YouTube videos, drug debts. Mm-hmm. Were they f- re- responsible for the most murders and violence where I was housed.
1: Is it double? Is it like double bubble there? Like double troubles? In you borrow something,
0: you've got to give double back. Or is it tripled or is it just? It's overpriced, so you, they get you in debt, and if you can't pay it back, they start adding interest. Uh, what, what would the interest I, be? Yeah, it's, it's just going to go up really double, fast. Double, double, double. Yeah, they're going to keep going yeah. with it. So then you got people on the phone crying to the family members saying, "I'm going to get fucking killed unless you pay this." Five thousand dollar debt off by now, whatever it is. Mm. Um, that's the main thing: is drug debts. Um, any debt though can cause problems. So gambling, buying food um, from the from prisoner store, things that you can't pay for. Uh, hooch, running up hooch debts. Mm. Uh, then the next thing I would say is, be careful about your etiquette around. Different prisoners, like like what you're saying, mm. show respect, but don't act too crazy. It was interesting what you said. the guy's walking in it was like big all cocky mm. doesn't matter how big and bad he is. they go in on packs and they'll take they'll take you down if you've got that. so you want to go in with a spring in your step and your head up mm. if you're shuffling into the prison, looking down at the floor, terrified they're thinking. You know, is this guy a choma? Has he got something to hide? What, you know, what the fuck's going on with this guy? And they sense weakness. Yeah. So they're always looking for something to exploit in there and they're crafty as fuck. Mm. So if you, if you, if you demonstrate anything like that, so body language is very important. How you present yourself. I think I'm not a big tough guy. I mean, look at the size of me, but I was an anomaly, nerdy, like British educated person. So even after a couple of years, I'm walking with the prison walk, you know. Mm. Hoping that other prisons will accept me in new prisons, but they see through that instantly, and they then see that i 'm a resource. Mm. They could use me to read their legal paperwork um, and 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 do stuff from for them using my education so find a way to fit in is my point here. A lot of people have got a hustle mm. maybe it 's tattoo skills, mm. make your tattoo gun, do your tattooing. Uh, a lot of of guys get the artists to like make nice envelopes for the girlfriends or the wives and and draw like romantic pictures on them and and stuff like that um just i think what got me through it was just keeping my head down not talking shit not making enemies And people will even if you keep yourself to yourself people will try and try and come and fuck with you anyway but treating people how I would expect to be treated myself.
1: Is there like three people that if you had to like name three people that were like influences in prison from a prison sense whether it be good, bad or indifferent is there like could you name three people obviously you've obviously talked with Wildman um, obviously Hot Wheels and stuff but are there like three prisoners that like I don't know taught you something you learnt something from or like in a in a negative sense that like impacted your where you've come away and thought like right, well I don't know they've stayed with you for some reason like a, a, a certain prison experience or... But what positive influences? Influence yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so... Or
0: well, a good bad in individual. One film. of the biggest ones would be two Tonys. He was yeah. the mafia guy that was doing 141 years mm. for murdering only rival gangsters. Mm. So that put him at the top of the respect. Mm. And he taught me... You know, I wrote his life story um, by the end of it because I was in his cell day in, day out for hours on end. He said he felt I was the son that he'd never had. When I had to say goodbye to him at the fence, and I was never going to see him again, we were both like almost in tears um, because we had such a strong bond. But he taught me like, whenever the prisoners were complaining about stuff, Mm. wreck didn't start on time, breakfast cold. One of his favourite books was A Day in the Life of Ivan Donosevich, where they were in the Russian gulag. Mm. So he's laughing at these guys in prison. You're complaining, breakfast is cold. What Ivan was in the Russian gulag they were fighting over a fish eyeball in the soup. So Puts things in perspective, though. Yeah, yeah. You made me appreciate the small things. And the story of my life is I wasn't appreciating the small things. I thought I had to be smashed out of my brains on 10 different types of drugs at the weekends to Mm. to be enjoying life. But if you appreciate the small things, you don't go looking for trouble in all of the wrong places, which is what I did.
1: What was the biggest thing that you learned about yourself having been thrown from your mad crazy life where you was like doing what you was doing to landing in praise. And what did you find about yourself that you was like, I didn't know I had that in me or I didn't know that I could, I don't know, adapt to that situation or.
0: All right. So I had anxiety as a teenager, compounded after I almost got beat to death by some drunks, Mm. won't go out and dance, won't talk to women, so self-conscious, Started on the ecstasy, wouldn't stop dancing, wouldn't stop talking to people all like, night long. I became this wild and crazy party person. Mm. So, if anyone had saw me in America at the peak of me running this drug ring, two hundred people working for me, got my own bouncers, mm. um, you know, feeling like I'm on this like power trip. My ego is so big now, but that was all dr- completely and utterly drug fueled. Mm. If you took away, if I wasn't on drugs, I went back to being this shy, anxious person. So the therapist said to me, Sean, anxiety has driven you your whole life. Do you understand this? And he, he really got into it deeply with me. And this therapist was a prison worker who influenced me in such a positive way. Forced to confront my fear head on, living for almost six years with hundreds of dudes, mm. some dangerous, some would have crossed the road to avoid, you know, being forced to live with these wild and crazy people. I thought it was wild and crazy. Mm. 10 times wild and crazy to me yeah. it, it helped to crush that anxiety i still feel it a little bit but when i got out of prison the world seemed like a safe place yeah. after that you know you're constantly watching your back in prison you have got the adrenaline going world seemed like a safe place hey i don't need to take drugs anymore so that was one of the biggest things for me was to learn about my own anxiety how it driven me and to confront the fear and not go back to drugs to feel confident in my own skin, and when you 're happy in your own skin, you could go out and dance all night you know i 've been out dancing all night, been to a beef i 've been to ministry been to the gay bars of Clapham, just close my eyes get into the get into the groove and and often start cascading anyway from the physical movement of the dancing and then
1: like how often
0: this is one thing we didn 't touch base with how prevalent
1: are like prisoner to like I've seen, like documentaries about like Louis Theroux, where prisoners like fall into like gay relationships in the prisons and stuff like. that. Yeah. There's two. There's like a, a former Orion Brotherhood sort of guy with another sort of guy and stuff like. Is it is it big like homosexuality amongst like and then like <gasps> also sexual like
0: relationships between prisoners and prison officers. So in my book, Prison Time, I really described the sexual relations that happen in prison. I don't think any other book has has got into that. Mm. Now, I learned a lot of it through a transgender friend I had mm. called Zena or mm. um, She-Ra. was getting protected at the time because she had like one of the toughest boyfriends on the yard. This mm. guy had never lost a fight. Mm. And I started to put her stories online. She got a big following. Mm. So what Zina said was that some of the biggest, baddest dudes were the ones who were coming to her for sexual favours. And these were people who were spouting off acting homophobic and people that perhaps would never be suspected of doing the things that they were doing Mm. with her. I'm saying her because that's what she preferred to be called. Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, So she opened my eyes to all the different kind of stuff that was going on. So I was told after five years i would be receiving oral sex from trans. That was considered pretty normal, considered straight, Mm. because you're just the receiver of it. Mm. I had a bird who was visiting me, and I kept my mind – you know, on, on, on her. So there was like prostitution, there's prison punks. You know, people who get turned out, maybe they get put in debt, they can't repay, they're forced into sex acts. And once they're turned out, then there's no coming back from that. It's like they're called prison punks and um, they're rented out by the gangs as prison prostitutes. Against
1: their, just to pay off drug debts and stuff. And,
0: but once whatever. they get turned out, it's like they get forced to just keep doing stuff. Mm. Because they can't stand up to the gangs. Mm. Xena told me, if you're gay and you're not a a tough person, don't let anyone know. Because they're going to exploit it to the fullest. Mm. You're going to get used and abused and rented out. And, you know, I've got all kinds of horror stories from Xena of Mm. gay friends of hers that had one had a light bulb shoved in his arse and they took bets on who could smash it while it was in his arse. Another one was raped with a broomstick and got splintered in the internal organs. Um, one of them the light bulb one committed suicide afterwards a lot of them ended up dead as well so it's, 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 it's really sad um, what's going on there. there's also people who are gay for the stay so they've got like wives and girlfriends visiting them on the weekends mm. but they've got secret relations going on in the prison but then when they get out they just go back to the wives and girlfriends and, and nobody knows any, anything it about funny. it gay for the stay I actually spoke
1: to a girl who was convicted under joint enterprise joint enterprise is it for those that don't know, is a 300-year-old plus law where say there's 10 people fighting with another 10 people and one of them produces a knife and stabs that person to death, all 10 people get tied together for murder. Uh, It's wrong and it's unjust, but it is what it is. Uh, She got sentenced to 14 years life sentence. Uh, It's classed as minimum tariff. Um, And she became, while she was in prison, she was locked up with a serial killer, Rose West um, and a lady called Tracy Connolly, who a, like they abused a kid and the baby died sadly, sadly and everything well she was a, she became a lesbian while she was in prison and she said the amount of women on the wing that were in lesbian relationships because she was on the lifers wing with like I say Rose West and stuff and then she said the amount of women that are then going on weekly visits to see their fellas and then the necking on with them and stuff and groping and stuff and she said then they're going back to the wing and going back to it's like it's fucking so prevalent and stuff and there's been a I spoke to a prisoner recently on the phone personally and um there's a prison in Wrexham called Berwyn, which is a super prison. Wrexham, um, and a prisoner normally, obviously, sex offenders are kept separate. For some reason, they're having away with it there. I don't know. P- prisoners think it's a government experiment, the prison, and that they might be reading a it's conspiracy. I know, but the thing is, they think that because a guy was padded up with what he thought was a normal general population prisoner, and he, he ended up getting raped by him, um, and actually, the guy was actually convicted rapist and stuff, and. It's going on in prisons and stuff. Prison officers um, put an extendable baton into the anal cavity of a prisoner um, to, 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 to get drugs out. Uh, he ended up with internal injuries and stuff, and that there's a legal process going on at the moment. Um, the thing is, as well, I'll tell you one thing that is how prevalent is prison officer prisoner relationships. Or is it? Is it not? Does it not happen? I don't know. It happens here, obviously. But all
0: right. Um, so with Pepsi Watson, yeah, we talked about. 48 Laws of Power which is a book by Robert Green there's yeah. also a book called The Art of Seduction mm-hmm. so there was a prisoner who had read The Art of Seduction mm-hmm. and nearly every yard he went to he ended up seducing a female guard using the techniques from this book mm-hmm. so then the guard would get moved to another prison he'd get moved to a prison and they'd just do it again so in Arizona all sex between prisoners and staff is classified as rape because they are your custodians, yeah. and they're taking advantage of the situation. But if you put men and women in any field, um, that's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. So, so it does happen. And what happens is, if prisoners find out, they get jealous. So then they put um, kites into the staff to mm-hmm. say, "Look, this is happening," to try and, uh, or they they try and make moves on the woman. Or they'll put a kite in on the prisoner who's getting the sex to get him out of the way, so then they can. Of a free make, of make, moves, make moves on the woman and stuff like that so there's all this uh, Machiavellian stuff going on with guys who will get jealous and ruin it for you if, if it comes out yeah
1: it's fucking crazy because in the UK when I was padded up at Forest Bank I was padded up with a convicted murderer um, he killed his own dad his dad had been non- his dad had nounced his sister off and also used to severely beat his fucking mum and he was under the influence of cocaine he was 19 years old he went round to his dad's um i think from entering the block of flats high-rise flats to leaving was about four minutes and he fucked it. he killed his dad with a hammer um ended up getting i think he got a 23 year minimum tariff uh, anyway cut a long story short we was just in forest bank padded up together um the first time this female officer she was stunning petite beautiful brunette right obviously in prison um because you are sexually deprived um Women that you wouldn't look at on the street become very attractive, but she was just a nice, genuinely looking, good-looking officer. Anyway, she's popped the door. He's having a shit. The bog's right next to the fucking cell door. It was like love at first sight or something because... He's literally, he felt he went to pull his pants up because he, he, he'd tell him how fit she is. He liked her, he wanted to get in with her. But he'd, all, he'd already, he got kicked out of Garth. He was sent from Garth down to Loudham Grange because of banging an officer up there. That was confirmed by another, off, uh, by another prisoner called Solbach, who was from South Africa. And he said, Solbach, come here. He said, he thinks, he thinks. Cody thinks I'm talking shit about this prison officer I was banging. He said, oh, brother, I wanted you to do the sailing, and he's fucking smell of the sex, <laughs> right? So I was like, fuck. So he was shipped to Loudoun Grange. He was up on accumulated visits because he'd not had visits for ages. So he had a master load of visits. Brought him back for a local prison so he could have his visits. He was obsessed with this officer, really. He's a good looking lad. He'd become a, a Buddhist and stuff, like trying to like found religion. He'd been in prison seven years at this point. She's walks in, they don't knock obviously, pops his door, he's having a shite, goes to stand up and he fucking fell off the toilet, side saddle, right, and then she just sort of quickly closed the door, it fucking stunk. He tried to blame me, but he's like, mate, he's just got your pants down. Anyway, when I got out, he put my house number on his PIN and there they don't clear, they don't like ring up and check it, they just clear the number. Anyway, cut a long story short, I eventually get out. He brings me at home and he said, have you found that uh, maid from the hotel? The hotel was the prison and he was trying to find her on Facebook, right? Found her on Facebook. Her and her wife was cutting cake, married, fucking cutting cake together, right? In a hers and hers outfit, right? I don't know what the fuck he did, but he ends up he ends up getting with her. She quits her job, right? He's getting her to bring drugs in and stuff first and stuff, right? She ends up quitting her job, right? going onto to cash in transit instead, like moving money from bank to bank and stuff, right? And then at Loudoun Grange, you can actually have... He went back to Loudoun Grange. You can have visits on the visit. You can have pictures on the visits there with family. Uh, and next minute on his Facebook, he's, there's fucking pictures of him there. And I'm thinking, oh my fucking God. <laughs> so love at first sight, she caught him taking a shit. She fe- but he was, he was a very charming character. But it was just... But like I say, the staff, prisoner relationships, obviously... Prisoners, uh, as you know, are masters of manipulation and they're looking any advantage they can use for their own experience as well. In prison, I've seen it numerous times where a prisoner will get friendly with a prison officer. Obviously, mobile phones are big business within prison. And he's like, oh, right. So, babe, right. Send me a picture in your prison uniform with your tits out, showing your face straight away thinking, I've got you over a fucking barrel here, blackmail to fuck. She sends a picture. Ah, uh, babe, and all that. And he's, he's then got her over about You start better bringing drugs in. I'll take this to the boss. You'll get fucked. So she's under under duress bringing it in. But sometimes they do it because they just want to top up the wage. Obviously, as you know, sometimes it's a sexual relationship. But the amount of officers that have been jailed recently in the past year, two years and stuff, just for bringing contraband in, it's so lucrative, as you know, the drugs market, that prison officers are getting in on the action.
0: It's corrupted every level of society, the war on drugs, because it's created... Sky high drug prices and mm. there's just some, almost a trillion a year they estimate right now. All right, so we're getting near the end of the podcast then. What is it you're doing in your life these days? Do you know what? I'm ashamed to say it. I've tried to get a job as an ex-offender. Um,
1: I, I've got no academic qualifications or anything. I'm trying to better myself. I've applied for stupid amounts of jobs. Um, no one's willing to give me a chance, um, which is quite. It's very fucking frustrating because... I worked in prison seven days a week for a whopping £10.25. You're trying to become a productive member of society. Um, and I sort of was contacted by like journalists and stuff. I do a lot of interviews and set up a lot of interviews as well. I'm not a, an expert in prison. I'm an expert in my own life. And they think I'm a good talker for whatever reason. So I do interviews, national, local documentaries and shit. I also set up other interviews because for me... Prisoners need to get their voices heard. And I speak up for prisoners. I, I enjoy it. I don't get paid for it, but I enjoy it. I do YouTube as well. Uh, like I said, before we actually went live, um, someone said on my uh, comments that I'm a cheap Sean Atwood. I will take it. The man's doing amazing things, do, smashing huge numbers. Um, and I'll take it. Like I said, I've, I've got just short of 12,800 subscribers. And the link's
0: going to be in the description box. Yeah. X-Con Cody. Like,
1: comment, subscribe. But yeah, Sean's... The, the last 3,800 have probably come from from you putting... hopefully
0: in... we'll set a goal to try and get you up over twenty thousand the next yeah. you know, in the, later on yeah. this year uh, also... ho- hopefully you get plenty off the back of this yeah. what motivated you to go and speak to that year group in the high school
1: yeah, what it was i I now speak as well at, like um speak to criminology students at universities and stuff um sometimes my the way that i I'm very raw and I just Say how it is, and I'm, there's no filter um, and certain universities, as you 've seen have knocked me back, others embrace it um, and what it was just the, stu- the the one of the tutors that I speak to her students on desistance and violence and prison and stuff um said, My son.' And his class are doing like crime, prison for like a year, like a year 11 GCSE thing. So I'm thinking like 20, 30 students or something. And then they put another class in with it. And then the the kids that was um, like the naughty kids, you're not allowed to use that phrase, but kids that have been like excluded, like naughty kids, they came in. um, And I was just asked to go in and share my experiences and stuff. And I saw it as an opportunity to try and plant a seed as a deterrent because at the end of the day, here in the UK, under this shit shower of a government, the Conservative government, the Tory government, uh, we've lost over 21,000 police officers. And the reality is that youth services have been cut, police officers' numbers have been cut, community police stations have closed down, youth services have been cut. And here in the UK, it's a pandemonium. It's a green light for criminals uh, to commit crimes across the board, and the police are powerless to stop it. So, knife crime is a huge problem, gun crime, and stuff like that. So, the run the, just feral youth running around shanking each other up over drugs territory postcode rivals girls everything in between drill music grime music etc and it shows no sign of abating uh, so i saw this as a, as a as a chance to say look there's a saying i went to this class and i'm standing there in this like assembly hall and i'm saying look like there's a saying like um, a wise man learns from other people's mistakes a fool learns from his own i said i'm the fool me I said, I'm jealous of every single one of you. I said, if you guys are out there now, I said, you guys are at an age now where it's not too late for you guys. You guys can apply yourself. You can embrace education because the reality is if I had my time over again, I'd be sat with you guys and I would have embraced education. This is where it went wrong for me here. You guys can do it, right? Embrace education, further education because the choices you make in your next few months will be the, the fork in the road. Get left or get right as in law-abiding citizen, job prospects, further education, or potentially crime. I'll say, I got into crime, I said, because my mum was working minimum wage and stuff, and I wanted better for myself. I wasn't academic. She wasn't academic. I wasn't academic. So I was going to end up doing the jobs that she was doing, the unskilled jobs, cleaning and stuff. I wanted better for myself. I wanted the money. I wanted the the status and stuff that came with that. I wanted that champagne lifestyle that I'd seen on the estate, like with the lads that are driving the nice cars and they're ugly as fuck. And you're thinking big dick or a big wallet. And I mean, they had money coming in. So obviously women go for that materialistic and all that, aren't they? So so yeah, so I just saw it as a chance to plant a seed and stuff and said, I said to them, now I've come away from crime, I'm actually going to end up doing a minimum wage job. So the moral of the story is crime long-term actually doesn't pay because when you, with age comes maturity and you're mellow. When you want to, I wanted to get away from minimum wage because I saw it as a struggle and then, so I've gone down the criminal route, all these life experiences which I'm very grateful for. I've come full circle. And the same thing I tried to get away from is the same thing I'm going to end up doing. So in a nutshell, crime actually doesn't pay. Um, and like I say, it comes at the behest of, obviously, when you end up in prison, your freedom, your liberty. And as you, as you know, the, the toll it takes on you psychologically and stuff like that is everlasting. Um, and like I say, prison's a, a mugs game. I mean, prison for me, in my opinion, is for young, fit men. It's not for all the people it's not for women do you know what I mean and prison can strip you prison can bring you to your knees and that can be once in a sentence it could be five times it could be once an hour do you know what I mean you develop mental health issues you can lose your friends your family when shit gets real when you go to prison and you are in prison for the first time the biggest lesson I learned was when shit gets real you find out who's real right and people that I thought would step up were were non-existent and then when I got out like oh yeah yeah mate and I'm thinking go fuck yourselves when shit got real and the chips were down, where the fuck was you? And then they're ringing me up, oh, I need your help with something. I'm thinking, hold on. Did, wh- wh- how many how many post orders did you send me? How many visits did you come on? Go fuck yourself. Mm-hmm. No, because loyalty is given and it's reciprocated and it's returned. I give you loyalty you only get from a dog. And like I say, but the the sad thing is, and I'll leave you on this, is I was looking out for other people. And you've, you've probably had this yourself. You look out for other people, but they're looking out for themselves. Um, and like I say... Loyalty, those people that don't value the cost of loyalty will never know the, new, the true cost of betrayal. Um, yeah. I speak too much. Get yourself some my briefing and i lie down in a dark room. A lot of you. But yeah, go on. So there so, you
0: are. Know, prisons amongst game. They're building private prisons all over the world right now. Getting fat and rich They want you out committing crimes. Mm-hmm. They're getting tens of billions a year in contracts off this. Mm-hmm. Half of young people get into the drugs experimenting. And they look at them as suckers they can put in these private prisons and and ruin their lives, get criminal records, and they're not gonna get their jobs. So, we're gonna put Cody's links in the description box below this video. We discussed earlier, Cody doesn't have a donation page, but he might be setting one up. We'll put the link to that in the description box below the video if you wanna help Cody um, rebuild his life. I just wanna,
1: I wanna, what I'd like to do is be able to buy camera equipment and take it out outside prisons and interact with prisoners' families and travel to different prisons and get prisoners leaving prison, bringing you their stories from their mouths as they leave the gate.
0: So it's a real, it's a real positive mission. So I appreciate you coming down from Manchester to Surrey. Give us a hug, man. Yeah, yeah. Cheers, brother. Yeah, man. Care of yourself. Thank you. And guys
1: like, comment, subscribe, and obviously put your comments in the comment section below.